in the light of a full moon, in the darkness of a crypt, Real. a horror legend is about to be reborn. Those old legends really get around, don't they? Punish the righteous. Curse of the devil. Exorcism, a sacrifice. Blessing or bestiality. Curse of the devil. Satan in control. Welcome to the Nashi Cast. This is episode 60, and yes, it's an official Nashi Cast episode, so hang on to your hats. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And tonight we have a special, special guest, someone whose name has been cursed on pretty much every continent on this planet, uh, but for good reasons. David Zuzelko. <laughs> David Zuzello. It's good to see you guys. Oh, Zuzello? God damn it. Yeah, Zuzello. <laughs> Why did I put a C in it? I have no idea. We're not re-recording this. Yes. Dave, we'll own it. David, no, I'm going to so own it. many different versions of it. It's actually, that, that's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> Dave, David or Davey, well, it's always been Davey Z or David Z, mainly because people wanted to shorten it down, not mispronounce something, and still call you some kind of filthy name immediately after your, after your actual proper name. Yeah, I've heard quite a few of them, that's for sure. The damn David Z. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I got to know you uh, back in the old days of Yahoo groups, God save us, uh, European Trash Cinema Paradise, uh, there and a few other places around the web. To be honest, it's lost to the it's lost in my memory, and it's going to stay lost because I'm not going to dig it out. But uh, one of the great things is that... Uh, when I think of you, I think of you as someone who tends to love the sickest, strangest, most reprehensible films imaginable. Well, yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say I've mellowed in my old age, but I really haven't. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't ever see you really mellowing on that particular respect. On that, on, on that area, that area, I just don't, I don't see you doing it. But the other thing that I mostly think of you for is I think of you as a writer, a creator, and primarily because of the wonderful story, uh, Ascension of the Blind Dead, which I bought originally as a, I think you published it as a chapbook. It was, yes. And I still, and I still have that signed because I bought it directly from you, of course. But since then, that story has had uh, a pretty long life. It has, yeah. It's got it has its own unliving, shall we say, uh, over the years. <laughs> it, it, it's it's morphed and become yeah. It's become quite the story. So I'm really proud of it. It's it's it was an oddball thing way back when um, there was a company called Indie Gods. And they were looking to do something a little bit different. And they had a couple of folks who were working with them, uh, including Brian Keane, who oh, uh, yeah. wrote The Rising. Yeah, and very, very Brian ended up doing a book about the Indie Gods experience, which was pretty funny to me since I sort of lived it uh, <laughs> alongside him. And his perspective was probably different than mine, but everybody has their own. Um, and we were looking to do something just sort of interesting. And I knew Neil at the time, Neil Vokes. So uh, acclaimed cartoonist, yeah. uh, comic book artist. Yep. And I said, you know, I want to do this thing uh, with, you know, Nashi, Battle in the Templars, and let's do that, but you have to add one thing for me. And of course, Neil being Neil said, well, what's that? He said, oh, wait. I said, of course, tits. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, of course, I had to use a female uh, werewolf character that I had created uh, named Sylvia Pershy. Uh, you like can it. probably guess the references there. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Sylvia Solar, of course. And uh, it's... Mm. It, it just sort of took off from there. It was really nothing more than a sort of a fan story. And I wanted to kill a character from a novel that I was writing that just I could not get my head around. So I wanted this character to be an adventurer. In her initial story, she was supposed to take a bunch of pregnant women to be sacrificed to an Aswang. <laughs> and, and, and she was the hero. <laughs> and, and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't make it work. So this story came along. I said, well, you know what I'll do? I'll kill her. Mm-hmm. and we'll see what happens then. And it became this whole thing with the blind dead, and I used characters like the Lorelei's Grasp. Yeah. Um, I sort of reinterpreted that whole thing into my own stuff. But it was all done really as just a pastiche and a real love letter to all the movies I really enjoy, cool. the blind dead primarily. Mm-hmm. And since then, um, I lucked out and I met an artist named William Scar. Um, he's worked under a bunch of names, but William Scar is his, his nom de plume, and it's a damn good one. Um, and he believed in that story. It was crazy. I remember telling him one day, you know, if you ever want to do a comic, and he's a great artist, you know, do what you have at it. Do what you will. And nothing came of it for some years, and then suddenly something did come of it. And it popped up in, oh, gosh, Zombie zombie Tales, I think the book is called. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're going to kill. Oh, Zombie Terrors. Zombie Terrors from Asylum Press, but it was edited. They took out Billy's greatest asset, which is drawing big boobs. <laughs> uh, they took it out. They, they said, you know, you got to cover it. So she's wearing a little blue T-shirt and all this other stuff. And then uh, Billy, through, through good fortune and, and, and a, great, you know, a great will for this story to keep going, it found its way to heavy metal. And he got to redraw it with its full tits-out version. Um, and just this week, I received Carnopolis, which has a really freshened up, really, really definitive, nice version of my story, Billy's art, and uh, they mesh really well. I, I'm super proud of it. So I'm glad you liked it, to be honest. I'm glad oh, you did. Oh, I love it. Yeah. 
Well, that's the thing is that, that's the that's the movie that never happened. That's the thing that Troy yeah, and I, we all wish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, what more could you ask for? And then, of course, you add me, and the first thing that comes to mind is it needs to be a female werewolf because she's got to be naked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, how much Absolutely. fun is it? Clothes are not tearing. So you know, I mean, I, I like werewolf woman just fine, but mm-hmm. it didn't scratch the itch of the things I wanted to see mm-hmm. entirely. Mm-hmm. Minus one humongous eurobush. Uh, <laughs> it really didn't scratch the itch, so I wanted to scratch my itch myself, which I'm known to do, I guess. Yeah, well, we can uh, yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> well, I we will speak. say that the only problem I've ever had with the concept of a female female werewolf is uh, I just I can't I can't wrap my brain around trying trying to find a way to uh, uh, dig through the hair to find a nipple on a woman. I just can't do it. <laughs> no, but you know what? If I'm close enough to get there, she's probably rip my head off anyway. <laughs> you know, what a way to go! I mean, right? it, yeah. it might be worth it, the taste of werewolf nipple one time, might be fun, <laughs> but it's only going to be one time, and the next thing you're going to be tasting is the dirt from your yeah. severed head. So, eh, you know, yeah, I can totally see it. Eh, one way or the other, it, it looks sexy, and when Billy draws women, they look pretty sexy. Mm. Well, I would also like to point out to people, this is not the first time, David, that uh, you and I, at least, have podcasted together. Uh, several years ago, you and I sat down for a couple of uh, a couple of episodes of Horror Rises from Spain with Mistress Elena. And, I, uh, huh? I would never, I could never forget that. that oh, no, 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 no. But uh, we talked about the third and the fourth Blind Dead films, Ghost mm-hmm. Galleon and Night of the Seagulls. And uh, that I, I I remember it well. I th- I thought we we had an excellent time talking about those movies. There was there was much agree much agreement and much disagreement on the qualities or lack thereof of those two particular films between the three of us. And I think that's fine. how dare you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if you, I don't know if you paid attention, but just uh, just a few months ago, just earlier this year, Troy and I finally finally sat down and did our own episode on Ghost Galleon. I do, I did, and you know what? I bought that Blu-ray as quickly as I could. Oh no, and, you, mean, uh, you mean the Night of the Seagulls? Oh, you mean talking about Night of the Seagulls? Oh, Night of the Seagulls. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, we did. We did. Yeah, we after we uh, after we did our commentary on Night of the Seagulls, we realized well, that's kind of probably the last word we should, we should have on on that film. So I guess we should fill in the gap by going ahead and doing Ghost Galleon. And I will say that when we came back to the film, both of us came away a bit surprised at how positively we reacted to the film this time. Still think it's the the weakest of the three, but we didn't, you know, sit there and, you know, want to take an axe to the negative no. any longer. No. So, you know. <laughs> That's good. You know, it's funny that that series, there's no bad film to me. They're all just a little bit different. And the the third is just the trashiest you know, of the batch. I mean, that, that's all there is to it. You know, you're working on the, the, the limited budget and all that, but I just love it. And basically, you cannot defeat the concept of it for me. No. Oh, yeah. no, the great, no, it's one of the things I love so much about that series is how each, all four of the films just approach, you know, from a different aspect and put them in a different setting and even, even, even kind of change the mythology a little bit, uh, but still keeping it the same basic, you know, cool creatures there. But, uh, it's always really neat to see the different uh, the ways that uh, Diosario uh, tried to you know approach that there. So, oh, he, he I I've always loved that film in particular, um, just for the the women in it and mm-hmm. the fact that they're just sort of set off and it's just a bizarre setting yeah. to put the Knights Templar. I mean, it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. That's it, the it makes great no thing sense at all. You're taking away some of their greatest like, pieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, take away the horses. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you take away the horses, you take away, you know, basically a mold. I mean, all the stuff you love about them is kind of gone, but it still works mm. despite it all. And in my opinion, it works because it's so different from the other films. It, it just becomes its own 
little pocket universe of nonsense that I enjoy. But I, I, you know, I like the Sea Serpent. I think that's a great movie too. So okay, now here's the thing. I'm not yet. I, I hate to say this. I own a copy of the Sea Serpent. I bought it from our buddy Craig Ledbetter years ago. But I still, uh, yes. I still haven't watched past about the first ten minutes just to see what the quality is. And that's mm-hmm. ridiculous because I've owned it now for way too damn long. And part of it is that I know that I'm going to be disappointed in the effects. But I still, yeah. I'm, I still, I still need to sit down and see it. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's one of those movies that you you will be disappointed by the effects, but almost like the like Ghost Galleon, it, it sort of doesn't matter uh, for me. When I watch a movie, you know, a bad effect is a bad effect. I mean, I've long taken into effect, to account that the stuff that attracts me the most was made for the least, and it was the audacity of the movie far surpasses anything that they need to show me. You know, an audacious film to me is worth a lot more than a film with finely crafted special effects. If it's got the audacity and the balls to put a bunch of knights on a boat to kill a bunch of models, <laughs> you know, I mean, anybody can go and make another movie with 50 people, you know, helping them and doing all these things. But it takes a special person to say, I'm going to write this down. I'm going to show it to people. They're going to give me money to make it. Other people are going to say this stuff. I'm going to film it and then I'm going to sell it to people. And then years <laughs> later, they're going to watch it and talk about it on this internet thing that I never even heard of or imagined happening. <laughs> and there's only two words for that it's fucking amazing <laughs> I, I agree uh, we, are, we are merely part of the continued cycle of life for these films yeah. Yeah, yes we are sure. yeah and it's a wonderful cycle it's interesting so many years ago I started doing um, for a laser disc company I did a little horror newsletter ah. and, and way way back so that would be wow the late 90s, 90s. Yeah. and that became tomb of DVD when DVD came out and none of this stuff happened. And that's when I met you, Rod, was when through Tomb of DVD. Oh, was that it? Yep. Oh I met you God. through Tomb of DVD because I was still trying to write these movies up. And yeah. there was a lot smaller. It used to be all mail order. we get it from Craig or, you know, whoever. Yeah. A video search in Miami would take our $25. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'd get to watch the end of someone's freaking home video barbecue at the end of my movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, always, always I mean, fun. whatever. It didn't matter where it was coming from. And, and now it's just so different. I mean, I go on the internet and I see people arguing about the value of a commentary track or, the you know, or what it's all worth. And to me, it doesn't – none of that even really matters. It's just astonishing that we're still talking about zombies. But we're still talking about Hunchback of the Morgue. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we are because, yeah. you know, you can sit on Amazon Prime and bang your head against the wall for hours and hours and watch movies. And to me, none of them approach what they were they were doing. Well, the beauty, I think, is that you're right. We're still talking about these movies. And we now are in such a golden era for this stuff. I mean, there are 14 or 15 Paul Nashie movies available on Blu-ray, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. Count, High definition. Count, huh? In high definition. Yeah. yeah. Count your fucking blessings, people. Mm-hmm. And so we have now the opportunity to have our noses in the air, bitching, moaning, and whining about small little details in a Blu-ray of a Paul Nashie movie. <laughs> it's nuts, isn't it? I know. Oh, whenever I see it. And it's interesting, too, because I used to love doing um, – well, the Yahoo group was my favorite. Obviously, that those are just yeah. phenomenal. We used to get together. We do, you know, do all kinds of stuff. And now I just go on, and if I have to see more people argue about the digital noise reduction versus the grain, and when I realize <laughs> that you don't know what grain is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we can probably all stop talking and shut up and enjoy a movie together in the same room, and and, and all that could stop. And we could just say, you know what? I want to see Paul Nashie as a hunchback. Mm-hmm. 
You know, and I want to see him still get the girl. How did that brilliant bastard <laughs> to get himself another woman? You know, I mean, it's, it's well, insane. It's always said, you know, that uh, it's like so for that that on the set of Inquisition there, that great photo with Nashi posing with all the naked girls. They're they're actually either about to or just film the naked uh, frolic, frolicking in the lake scene, and yeah. so all the actresses are standing around him and posing in nude, and he's sitting there, you know. You know, crouching there with him and, and just crouching. And I, I just thought, if you ever needed a recruiting poster for a director to be a director, you know, we need directors in Heller. That's you know, that would be what you would use. Yeah. We, we need more Paul Nash. But you know what's interesting? That sort of directly brings us to the unliving. If you wanted to see a whole bunch of girls pose nude with Paul Nash, <laughs> well, now that, that that's actually one of the one of the things that I would dispute with you is like there are naked women in the film and there is Paul Nash in the film. But uh, ne'er, ne'er the twain shall meet. That's because he didn't write the script. Oh. <laughs> That's because Nashi yeah. did not write this. this. Well, so, so the unliving. <laughs> okay, yes, okay, yes, okay. So okay. yes, we should tell. We haven't yet even told why we're, why yes, we're here. Yeah. Unless people have read the show notes or looked at the, the, the title of this episode, uh, they might be a little bit puzzled. Let me, uh, let me introduce people to the concept. The name of the film that we're covering this time around, God damn you, Davy Z, mm-hmm. is The Unliving. Now, the sharp-eyed or sharp-eared listener to the podcast may well understand and recognize that we, Troy and I, have already covered this film under its, I think, better title of Tomb of the Werewolf. It's in true Paul Nashy fashion. It has multiple titles. Of course. Now, um, one uh, might wonder what could entice Troy and I to watch this film a second time, and the only answer is David Z. So... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You, sh- you should be. You should be happy that you got us to do this because honestly, we weren't going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm smiling big. Uh, you really am. So, um, well, uh, under the uh, under the foolish impression that perhaps the film has aged well, we both dove back in and we took your advice and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about this film again. And I myself, uh, I've stopped. Uh, I, I watched it a few nights ago. I have I've officially stopped cutting myself again. So, <laughs> oh, good. Uh, I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah. So, well, the road to recovery comes to the tomb of the werewolf. <laughs> yes. Well, I've, I've got to say, I've been in this in this last week. I've been both both cursing you and and thanking you, David, because uh, cursing you for making me watch the film again, but thanking you because you know when I realized I was going to have to watch it again, I went to dig up my DVD copy of it and couldn't find it. Uh, and now. I, I don't think I would have gotten rid of it, or, or because just because it is a Paul Nashy film, even if I'd never expected to actually watch it again. <laughs> but I cannot, for the life of me, find my copy, uh, which was under the title of Tomb of the Werewolf. So that forced me then to buy the buy it under the title of The Unliving, and The Unliving release on DVD is the one that has both a making of documentary and an audio commentary, which I thoroughly enjoyed both of. Yeah. So, so actually, I am grateful to you for all that because I really did enjoy those aspects and getting it taught me a lot of things about the film that I didn't know because, you know, Paul Nashie wrote his, his autobiography before he made these films, so he, he never really commented on, on those films in that book. Yeah, that's one of the things that we're always really happy to have, which is we have, you know, a, enough reference of what Nashie thought of almost all of the films that he ever made up to a certain point, but this film and a few others were made past this point. Any film he made past the late 90s, we don't really have his thoughts on them unless somebody sat him down and interviewed interviewed him about them. And one of the great things about, uh, like that Making Up documentary, was seeing Sergio on it there, his son, you know, who was there with him. And uh, had we known 
that had gone on, you know, we could have, we probably, when we did the episode on Tomb of the Werewolf, we probably would have sent Sergio a few, I would have loved to have sent him a few questions about their experiences in, in Hollywood. Uh, but it was just great to see him on that, that uh, documentary there where they're showing them making it, that he was there with, with Paul. Oh, for, for we had covered uh, The Unliving, as I always call it, because that's actually sure. the only way I ever saw it. Yeah. Um, for years, I had the Tomb of the Werewolf VHS. I went to Blockbuster, and now that Blockbuster's gone, I rented it and never returned it. <laughs> and, <laughs> good, and, good, and I still good. have it. And, and, but, I, but I knew there was a story to it that made me say, yeah, but Tomb of the Werewolf's cut. And if there's one thing I know it was cut was a ton of boobs. Oh yeah, and that's a problem for me uh, <laughs> you know, in general. Yeah, fans your uh, sensibilities. Yeah, yeah that, that is definitely like giving a baby a bottle and taking away the milk. <laughs> you know, because it's got no contact with the titty, and that's a problem. So I, I, I never, I never actually watched it. But it was interesting when we sat down to do the Cinesludge episode. Um, I was just starting to sort of transition into saying, okay, I want to learn more about Fred Olin Ray and his movies. Okay, hold, like, hold on one second. Like, let's, let's explain to people that uh, Sludge was a podcast that you and your buddy Dan Taylor started mm-hmm. a couple of years yeah. ago. Uh, it ran how many episodes? I think 16? Um, yeah, 16 with some small ones, little ones in between. Uh, there was a point where I was doing these little, uh, Winorski mini casts, uh, that were like three minutes. It was really to right. sort of amuse myself and see if I could do it because I'm sort of a blowhard and I wanted to try and learn how to speak <laughs> within three minutes about something. So I would limit myself to a size and sort of go from there. And so that was, that was fun. But yeah, it didn't run terribly long, but it, Dan, um, Dan's from the same group of people that we, we both met yeah. in uh, Euro Trash Paradise years and years ago. And uh, if, if there's ever going to be an evil monk number one and two, I will gladly take Dan as the number one evil monk. <laughs> and we recorded a bunch of episodes. We covered all kinds of different topics, some Euro stuff, uh, the, the Rec series. Yeah. Um, and we went real into detail with that one. We did the American ones too. And I was shocked to learn that I actually love the American sequel. Very much. I think it's a great movie. It's really, really, really entertaining. Quarantine uh, too. Yeah, yeah. The uh, my God, you're there? sick. You're <laughs> sick. Yeah, I love it. The one in the airport. <laughs> I think it's a brilliant movie. I absolutely adore it. I think it's very. <laughs> of course, I also think Hell of the Living Dead is one of the best movies ever. Oh, made. I know. Say, so, I get it. You know, I know that's, that's not a that's, qualifier. It is. No, that's, know, that's that's one that. Sure. Listen, I get the biggest kick. That's one I know always makes. I know Rod always just shakes his head over that. No, but I, <laughs> yeah. I love Hell of the Living Dead. It's just, exactly. I mean, oh, it's just because so it's so insane. It just, and it, 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 it's a classic example of where you can tell that the idea was just simply. Okay, let's just rip off Dawn of the Dead. You know, it starts with the whole SWAT team and everything, but then it just goes down this completely bizarre, as the Italians do. You know, it just goes down this complete bizarre other path. I'm sorry, gentlemen. I'm sorry, gentlemen. But uh, in the world of Bruno Mattei films, I'm sorry, but it's Rats Night of Terror all the way for me. Sorry, that's that's the the two of them are very linked. That's for sure. The two of them feel very similar. They're from that same time period. Yeah. But I saw um, I saw Hell of the Living Dead in the theater. Mm. As a young man, wow. I snuck out of school, and I went with a friend that I'm still friendly with, and we always laugh because during the aerobicide sequence, I jumped up mm. in the theater and said, holy fucking shit! <laughs> <laughs> it totally shocked me. And it was never forgotten. It's still a joke. Every time I put the movie on, he just laughs. It's like, oh yeah, I remember this one. So, yep, yeah, and that was the one. But it was interesting. Cine Sludge was a, was a great project for me. It was something I really needed at the time. Um, it sort of helped me transition out of doing all the blogging and more into sort of the creative space and the stuff I wanted to do, but I get to keep my hand in it. I mean, I love this stuff so very much, but when Tomb of the Werewolf, the Unliving came up, 
I, I was really, really interested in Fred Olin Ray and his work, um, mainly because I'd sort of seen it in my periphery, and I was so focused on the European stuff that I, I don't think I'd looked out um, in a long time. And Fred as a person to me is fascinating. His whole story, you know, from his carny stuff mm -hmm. to the fact that he was, a, you know, a single dad raising a kid who's now uh, won an Emmy Award and makes movies with the Asylum. He yeah. made three three headed shark attack, two headed shark attack, mm -hmm. and you know, the, just I was just really really interested in him. And then suddenly it was like, but wait, he did a Paul Nashie movie, and it came out on Retromedia DVD. And to my mind, it was the best DVD that had come out all year. Not because of the unliving itself, but because of all the stuff in there and the process and what it would be like for you or I or anybody. Because while Fred, to me, is iconic in what he does, he's one of those guys that's interesting in that you still kind of feel like he just loves this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I can sort of relate to what here he's coming from when he makes his movies. And so the story goes, and I'm sure you heard on the audio commentary, his wife, Kim, who's a line producer, came to him and they needed – Don Glute had him coming in for a film. And he was not going to be there for too long. So they needed another movie. And she said, hey, would you like to work with this guy? Who's the guy? Paul Nashi. Can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no was, kidding. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and let's just say you had very little money. Mm -hmm. um, but you wanted, you had Paul Nashi for a couple of days. And you decided to say, well, fuck it. I'm going to make a werewolf movie. I'm going to make the werewolf movie I wanted to see. And it's going to have a vampire woman. And then suddenly you get there and you realize, well, it's neither fish nor fowl. Mm-hmm. They're telling me I got to make a cable movie to sell it because at the end of the day, exploitation movies are nothing if no one sees them. You know, they, if you can't make money, you know, you're not making the Sistine Chapel. You're making a movie that's supposed to be seen. So he tries to do that, and that's failing miserably, as you can tell. And he's also trying to make a Paul Nashi movie, which comes with its own challenges. When Paul Nashi shows up off the plane, he's in a ratty motel, and Fred drives out himself and moves him. And he gets there, and Nashi is having a difficult time getting around. He's not very mobile. Yeah, and the guy was in he his, he was he in his, his seventies. He was in his seventies, you know. So. Yeah, he's in his seventies. He doesn't speak English. Yeah. And by the way, you want to stick him in a ton of prosthetics, mm -hmm. and he's not going to like that as much as he might want to do it. He's going to have a tough time, and he did. And it's pretty mm -hmm. obvious when you watch the movie. But in the end, somehow Fred managed to edit out enough stuff to get a pretty decent to me visual representation of an aged Paul Nashi still proud of the films he made and the characters that he brought to life over the years. And it, does it stand? Am I correct? And you guys know better than I, that's the last time he did that. It's the last time he mm -hmm. played mm -hmm. uh, Valdemar. A monster? Yeah, it's curious. Absolutely. And any monster? No, no, no. Uh, he did. He played, uh, well, uh, he, pl he played uh, a monster again. And um, well, depending on how you look at it in werewolf in the Amazon, Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, that's depending on how you look at it. Kind of yeah, thing. yeah, kind of depending on how you look at it. It's definitely the last time he played a werewolf. As def well, let's put it this way. It's the last, quote-unquote, Valdemar Daninsky performance sure. from him. <laughs> and um, I will say this. the As, as a Nashi fan, it is a great joy to see him in uh, in the makeup and out of the makeup, uh, regardless of how bad that facial hair is on him, the, uh, the, the mustache and, <laughs> and beard. Oh, yeah. Are are atrocious, but no no worse than the wig on him, to be honest. But hey, we're we're used to wigs with Paul Nashie. That's not a big deal. The performance from him, I think you're right. I mean, yeah, how you know he was he was old as the hills. He was still giving it what he could give it. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you know that, uh, I mean, uh, the first time I saw the movie, I honestly thought, okay, 
he's probably not even going to have any dialogue because I know he had, you know, he he didn't know English and anything that he said, he was gonna, he was going to have to learn phonetically. Right. But there is that one scene in the chapel where uh, when every time I fall for it every time when the scene starts, I think to myself, "Damn, they really should have redone the audio for this scene because this needs to be foleyed pretty bad because the raw sound is is." is not clean enough. You can, you can hear people, you know, you can hear the oddness of how people are, are stepping in the room. And then you realize the reason they kept the raw sound is because you actually get to hear Paul Nashie's voice speaking these lines in English. Yes. It's, it was important to Fred. He mentions that too, that that happened because he had seen all these Nashie films in first release and had seen, and you never heard Nashie speak. So it was important to him. And that's sort of what the unliving to me stands as it's, it's almost the ultimate of the fan film type of thing. You've got this guy, you've got this, you know, these resources, which are obviously limited. Um, Troy, you saw the documentary. Fred was yeah. obviously yeah. very frustrated. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. making this film. And to, at the time the DVD was released, they had never made a penny and he had never had that happen. They did mm-hmm. not, not a penny, but he hadn't made back his costs mm-hmm. and that very rarely happens. Well, he so even this, says that he couldn't even, he couldn't even sell the film in Spain. <laughs> he no, couldn't even right, find a distributor anywhere. They wanted it. It was, it was just not, it wasn't anything. It wasn't it was softcore enough for the softcore crowd and it wasn't horror enough yeah. for the horror crowd. And, and he says that blatantly himself yeah. is like, he said, yeah. I don't know what to do with this film. You know, I don't no. know. What, yeah. Yeah. What have we done? Mm-hmm. But I enjoy I enjoy it on a lot of levels. It brings up sort of a different different topic. But for me, I'm a big fan of softcore movies. Mm-hmm. I enjoy them because, well, A, I like all the stuff on show, obviously. Mm-hmm. But softcore, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's really easy. But softcore movies to me are really awesome. And Fred Olin Ray does some amazing softcore movies. If you see a film like Possessed by the Night, if you haven't seen that, you absolutely have to. Um, it, it's it's got a brain in a jar that possesses women. Sandal Bergman screaming. We got Gene Simmons' wife working out naked on a possessed Bowflex. I mean, it, there's no way to say it. There's tits, and it's just fucked. I mean, the whole movie is just bizarre. Hold on, hold it's, on, hold on, hold on. Possessed Bowflex? <laughs> you'll see. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, anyone who's listening to me, it's not really – well, it's sort of possessed. You have to see the film. Uh, it, it, it is definitely one of a kind, but I enjoy the softcore genre for that. It, it lets, again, that, that whole – you know, the coin of the realm is audacity to me. And if I want to you know, live that way, then I, I do like seeing things that are just, okay, we know we're on the outside. You know, and a lot of the old Euro trash stuff was like that too. You know, a movie like Frankenstein 80 was not meant to be a mainstream horror film. No, you know, yeah. movie, you know, I mean, it had it, it had horror bits, but it had all kinds of other stuff, and you know, I love that kind of film. It's really hard to say, oh, but look at all the great stuff that goes on in the Unliving. I mean, you have this completely random scene with Evan Stone, uh, porn star Evan <laughs> yeah. Stone, who's very funny, oh, and yeah. he's been in a lot of Fred stuff. Um, there's one he does, and the name's going to escape me. Sorry, Fred. Uh, it's about a space ninja, and he shows up in an outfit that looks like Guar. <laughs> He, like Evan Stone in Guar, and he's absolutely hysterical. Uh, um, tell, tell isn't people, he also a stand-up comic when he's not like in porn? He is. Goes, yeah. He's a stand-up comic. Oh, wait a minute. Tell people I, who Evan Stone is. Tell, tell him who he is in the film. Oh, he's the villager in the random scene where the where the girls sort of uh, he right. and the, uh, the Monique Alexander have, out, the, have the sex scene, yeah. and then get attacked and killed by the werewolf. Right. So it's just, a, and you know what that was? That was just for time. You know, it, sure. it's this random thing, but it, it makes me happy when I see that. Or when I see all the people in there, it, it, I love Jay. I mean, come on. 
you know, yeah. Jay Richardson. Oh, he's great. Oh, yeah, yeah. One of the greatest actors yeah. ever. So when he appears in anything, he is in the latest Jim Wynorski children's films. Mm-hmm. So my kids get to watch yeah. Jay Richardson. Well, he's got and like over laugh. 300 credits. I mean, the guy's amazing. You know, he's been in everywhere, everything. Yeah, and he's always good. You know, and he's always, always good. So it was fun seeing him as a Daninsky. <laughs> really cracked me yeah. up. Um, and, and lest we forget, uh, I always call her the erotic MVP, Michelle mm-hmm. Bauer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> will show up. No matter what, you put her on stage, the, that mm-hmm. woman will show up. And she plays Countess Bathory. Yeah. And, she and, you has, know, and for me, it was like, wow, mm-hmm. she's in one of my favorite films under a different name. And I guess I, my luck of getting her to sign a poster for her would probably be nil. But she's in Cafe Flesh. You know, and, oh, and yeah. Watching, yeah. She, and, and it's it's just crazy seeing all these people pop up. And there's one other person for me that gets really special notice is Beverly Lynn. So mm-hmm. I, I think Beverly Lynn is amazing. Yeah, and, she, and she's great. They put her in all kinds of stuff. She's the blonde with the tussle yeah, hair. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. The blonde with and, what? Her hair's kind of short. Yeah, kind of oh, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. here's here's the thing. Be- that that particular – Beverly Lynn? Beverly Lynn, yeah. Okay, I got to tell you, um, and I, I can't remember, Troy, if we talked about this when we covered this film as Tomb of the Werewolf, but that woman, Beverly Lynn, is the spitting image of a girlfriend I had in college, and I swear to God, it just tears me up every time I see this film because she's just <laughs> no. fucking gorgeous. And I'm yes, going, oh, my mm-hmm. God, she's got the same facial features. When she <laughs> smiles, it's the same smile. They both had the short hair. And it's like, oh, my God, this is madness. Why am I? <laughs> it's like I'm having, you know, autoerotic flashbacks. It's bizarre. <laughs> and here she is on all fours getting full rammed. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> in and, front and, of your eyes. Well, plus, plus she's also in a lesbian scene. So it's like, yes, Jesus yes. Christ, I get it all here. What? Yeah. Why, yeah. Why, I tell you, I, I, I really enjoy her stuff, and she's in a ton of Fred uh, his his movies, and even his uh, internet series Tanya X. She was the the spy, and she's just in a lot of the stuff. I love her, and this was her first movie for him. She subbed in for somebody who wouldn't do nudity. <laughs> what, what were they hanging so, around Fred and Ray for? Well, that's kind of what he's like saying. He's saying like, "Hey, sorry, no. If I'm paying you, you're gonna 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 drop the skivvies. That's all. Is you know, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Well, there is that sequence in the documentary yeah. where he's talking to his wife and he says they're yeah. driving into work. Yeah. And these are the conversations that you get to have as an exploitation movie <laughs> yeah. maker, I guess, with your wife. Yeah. It's like if these girls aren't going to take their clothes off, I'm not going to hire them. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the way he's totally like in through that documentary. I think he's really totally playing up the sleaze director kind of thing because he's. Every time you see him, he's mixing a big like martini or something, makes a big drink, oh, yeah. and he's and he's like in just like no you know no shirt and just his you know shorts or like an open shirt with his big belly hanging out there just you know and he's like totally I think playing the playing up the the Hollywood sleaze director that, you're there that all the is way. totally him and you know yeah. what's great that's the other thing about Fred that I, that amazes me the guy can put that on and if you watch him in his retro media segments mm-hmm. where he'll talk he also did a death match with Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah, that's right. He and just, he's, yeah, he's just, done his wrestling. He does wrestling, and, that's right. Uh, yeah, which is pretty amazing. So, yeah, real interesting guy. And Unliving for me is that sort of weird cross-section of you're getting the Euro trash thing I want to see in there. You're getting the sex scenes in there that, I mean, I, you know, I, sometimes you can give and take it. But it was nice to see Beverly Lynn. And oh, yeah. Evan Stone's always welcome in my thing. And he's particularly hilarious. He doesn't even get to talk. <laughs> so you take away all his best attributes, really. Well, just – I mean. Just reading his filmography is it will break you up. Just the name of some of the things he's been in, like My Daughter Tossed My Salad and things like that. I mean, it's just like the most amazing <laughs> titles in this guy's filmography. And it's like over a thousand films. I mean, he's got over yeah. a thousand credits. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just I, I caught astonishing. him opening up. Uh, he did an opening act for Katie Morgan. So when Katie Morgan tours uh, and strips, he does an opening act with her. 
and he was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Yeah, really funny. So it, it's, it's a pretty interesting film. I know I'll never change your mind. It's a good Nashy film, and I would never even say it was. Oh, no, uh, no, but I would no. say it's pretty interesting, and it really, to me, given all the stuff, and let's just pretend that uh, Paul Nashy never saw the completed film. For him, his parts, if you take out all the other stuff, the ramming on the couch, the, you know, the, just all the other things, you know, and you just get, and you just get to his parts. There's an interesting, a guy who really just wanted to make a decent Paul Nashy werewolf film with a pretty good makeup. He did it and, it and it's here and we're still talking about it. So I think that's pretty amazing. I'll tell you what, let's take a break and then we'll come back okay. and we'll uh, dive into a little bit more discussion of the film. Okay. Death is on its way. Beware the hunchback of the morgue. Of nature, a slave with a body broken from torture, a maniac with crimes beyond your wildest terrors. What kind of underground horror chamber is he building? What kind of monster is he creating? Why does he need more and more flesh? Is he? What is his weird secret? The secret that strangles an entire city with fear. The secret you will remember all the way to your coffin. The secret that made him the hunchback of the moor. Like it? What is it? This is the tomb of Count Valdemar Daninsky. Fantastic. I read about this in the old book, but I thought its location was a secret. It is. To everyone but me. Is he in here? The earthly remains of the master of Castle Daninsky. did you bring me here? Because of the treasure. The riches. You want them. You want to be rich. It's here. Open it. No way. This is getting a little too ghoulish for me. Why should I open it? Because you are the last of the Daninskys. Come. I'll help you. see the cross? Yes. It's pure silver. Its value is immense. Remove it and the fortune shall be yours. Uh, grave robbing isn't exactly my style. It's your legacy. It belongs to you. Take it. Wait. 
is something that should be captured on video. Let's come back tomorrow with, with the camera crew. Richard, you don't understand. You must remove it now. Why? Why must I be the one to remove it? Because no one else can know about this but you and I. It has to be our little secret. You're looking at my necklace. You find it quite beautiful. One of the joys of this film is I think that the, wisely they decided to stick with some of the things that have worked with past Nashy scripts and kind of almost write a pastiche to a degree of some specific Daninsky films from the past. So you've got Elizabeth Bathory as kind of a vampiric lesbian thing. Uh, you've got the werewolf and his uh, you know romantic love story, the doomed love all the things that we expect from a typical Valdemar Donetsky film from the 70s uh, shot through 2005 sensibilities, and we even get the whole idea of it being, you know, we, we get the, the scene at the beginning of the, the film. The prologue that's yeah. set in an earlier time and all that. Prologue yeah, set in earlier good. times. We get the, we get the werewolf. Yeah. We get the werewolf set. We get the werewolf pinned, you know, pinned down with a, a silver cross. Uh, all of these are things that, are visual traces straight back to the original Donetsky films, which is great, which which shows that you're talking about people who clearly knew the earlier films, had a re, you know had a certain reverence for those earlier films, and wanted to use those uh, images and those ideas to make their to make their own thing, and that's that's all that's all well and good, but this movie really is, I think, of two halves. I mean, they're, they're two separate halves, and I I think that's. Part of what Fred Olin Ray was communicating very effectively. First of all, I'm shocked he didn't make money on this film one way or another. Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah. I know. I concur. It's a, it would look like a difficult film to sell. I guess, given that time, don't forget there was no Blu-rays of Paul Nashy films then. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, you know, there there was no there was no Nashy cast. No, there, there was, was no nothing. nothing. I mean, there really was a few guys yeah, online right. who liked this stuff, and a bunch of older people that had seen them in the theater. And, you know, I mean, if you were an astute bootleg buyer, I guess you probably had some. Um, and you would know those visual references. But if you were going into Blockbuster or you were turning on Showtime looking forward to the faux pounding and you got this, <laughs> you would probably pound. like, well, wait a minute. You know, who is this old person? And I really have a hard time maintaining an erection <laughs> looking at 70-plus-year-old Paul Nash. I mean, I love Paul Nash. I love the guy. But, I, I, no, I couldn't keep one up. You know, just during those scenes, even if Michelle Bauer is in there leading him along yeah. through his English lines. Yeah. And it's great, too. You know, it, yeah. it's funny. It's it's not even a movie of two houses. It's a movie, a softcore film with a couple of bits of horror in it. Yeah. Really. Yeah. You know, and it has a horror theme. Um, but that movie could be a number of Fred Olin Ray films. And it could be a number of Jim Wynorski films. It could be a number of anybody, you know, Dean McKendrick films. It could be anybody's. Um, David but Nash yeah. sort of makes it something unique, mm -hmm. you know, and brings fans like us to it, you know, and I, maybe he overplayed it. Now, there is the, the infamous um, convention story, and one of the things, one of my great regrets that I did not get to go, uh, Fred presented this movie, and many of our brethren from the Eurotrash Paradise were there. Oh, wow. And he played the movie and said, oh, there's this thing I'm doing with Paul Nash, you want to see it? And they all said yes, of course, and they saw The Unliving. They saw the full version. Uh -huh. Right. So now you've got to imagine, um, you know, Dan, Bob Taylor, uh, Bob, Bob Sargent, Dan Taylor, everybody hanging, and they're watching it, and it's like eight minutes 
of full pounding. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things you do when you go to a hotel, I guess, but you don't usually do it with like a bunch of guys sitting watching it on the screen. You know, and, 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 and so they were probably a little like, yeah. And apparently the story goes, and Bob Sargent, who's a Nashi expert, in my opinion, oh, yeah. um, and one yeah. of the people who truly, in the English language to me, is one of the most important people who ever wrote about Nashi because. Yeah. For me, he brought a lot of videos and his yeah. work even before that brought a lot of this stuff up. Exactly. You know, sure and, and it brought yeah. a lot to my attention. So without without Bob, I don't know. I don't yeah. know where I would be You know, with the things I really enjoy or found. Um, so Fred poked his head in and said, are you guys still watching this? <laughs> <laughs> and they all said, yeah, you know, sure. So they played the whole thing. And, of course, everybody said, well, it wasn't very good. Hmm. You know, but I was always extraordinarily jealous that I didn't get to see it. Um, uncut, and then when Tomb of the Werewolf came out, it was like a slap <laughs> straight the dick because it was like, okay, now I'm not even going to get to see the whole movie, and I'll never watch it. I never did. So when The Unliving came out, I was extremely excited, and it's got an interesting pedigree. I mean, they're working with Gary Graver, um, the cinematographer, right. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, cinematographer. I mean, and a director, you know, and they're working with him, and he worked on so much, and it, it's it's kind of fascinating, you know, that in, in he wasn't doing well. Um, you know, again, coming out of the commentary, he wasn't well, yeah, you know, was it, but they wanted him there because he was part of their family at that time. And in, in the end, a lot of those Fred Olin Ray movies, especially of this stripe in that time, tend to have sort of that family affair feeling, you know, with full pounding. So I don't know if my family affairs are usually the same as his family affairs. But <laughs> I wish, I wish family affair had had full pounding. Yeah, but Troy, you, you've yeah. always had a thing for Brian Keith. <laughs> Mr. French, what are you talking about, man? Oh, you want a Mr. French? Oh, Sebastian <laughs> Cabot freak boy, are you? All right, well. You know, as soon as Troy years ago made his full confession about his telesavalis lust, it was, it, right. was a, it was a downhill slide from there so. <laughs> but, well, but since then hard, i found it's hard, to, it's hard to resist the bald man right? it is it is and since I've, I've i've found i think i think i've brought some other uh, uh other people to confess to you know you oh, know the tellies of all yes that's right for uh so <laughs> then, i opened the, I, I yes i was a uh, <laughs> never mind ain't nothing i say is going to well, sound yeah, I know that no, nothing, nothing past that statement is going to save you. So, okay, so to, to slowly get back on track. Yes, I want to ask because I, I know uh, you want to talk about this, David, and this was one of the things I was really going to ask you about too. Because I'm assuming that you have seen Countess Dracula's Orgy of Blood. You would assume correctly. Okay, well, this is one that I've not been able to. Not that I'm, not that I've pushed real enthusiastically, but I have brought it up from time to time. When Rod, yeah. when we've reached the very end of these Nashi films, we get our, our hands on, and I've mentioned from time to time, well, you know, there is Countess Dracula's Orgy of Blood, which he made with Don Glute, and Rod's always like, no, not until we get so desperate that, you know, we're, we're on true life support will we watch that film. So, 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 and, and I, and I can't blame him because I, I truly have no, no, uh, no real, uh, in, um, optimism about its quality because it is, it's Don Glute. Don Glute's another one who's and know uh, those guys. I'd love to sit down and talk monster monster movies with, just like I'd love oh, to sit down oh, and yeah. talk horror movies with Fred sure. Olin Ray. Yeah. But you know, as <laughs> as you know what I mean. So so okay, tell me, tell us, tell us, give oh, us, give us some info. What, what, what's I'll your opinion honest, of Council Strike? Here's Strat. what I can do for you. Yeah. So it could be a one minute Nashi cast, 
It's really it, simple. So his, his, his part is one of those like words. 30, 30 seconds of me saying, fuck this movie, and 30 minutes <laughs> yeah. of Troy saying, yeah, fuck this movie. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, he doesn't play a monster or anything like that. But it's, it, you know, I've seen a few of Don Glute's movies, and I have a lot of lot of respect for him. Oh, yeah. um, I have multiple hardcovers of his comics yes. over the mm, years. Yeah, yeah. He's a pretty prolific comic book writer. He is. And a far more creative gent than I could ever dream of being. Um, but his movies, I'll leave them to him. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's sure, really, sure. it's just, it's just not my, not my thing. Um, it is cool. Gloria and Gilbert was in that and she was in a few mm. things, um, that I'd seen, but I, I just remember trying to sit through it and saying, yeah, you know, I think the better film here is the unliving. Mm-hmm. So you could probably sum it up that way. Mm-hmm. If you guys were to say, I think the better film is the unliving. That's a, <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that's a, that's a fucking terrifying <laughs> thought. <David. laughs> yeah. I didn't think you'd want to go from it from there. So, you know, some places we dare to tread and others, we have to say, you know, yeah, you could do a lot, a long podcast on scat porn or, or that one. And might <laughs> uh, pretty well, much, you know. Here's, here's the thing. And this is how I kind of justify the fact that eventually, Troy and I are going to do an episode of the Nashi cast where we cover that film. And then you're right. It may be a pretty short episode. I don't know unless I can really, really rant like a son of a bitch. I don't know. I, I don't know how energetic I'll be when I finally decide to pull the trigger on that film, but it will probably happen. But I feel that I probably, we, we should, we should cover it one day because of one for just one simple reason. One, one of the great joys of having done this podcast for the past eight plus years is that we have made some astounding discoveries in Nashi's filmography that without this podcast pushing us in the direction of trying to cover everything we could get our hands on, we might not have ever seen. Okay. Um, there, there, there's Not all of them have been fantastic discoveries, but so many of them have been eye-opening as to the quality of what he was aiming for and what he was able to achieve both inside the genre and outside the genre. There have been some of his crime movies were phenomenal. I mean, just great movies like The Sniper. Um, hmm. And if if and I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't know how long it would have taken me to finally see the the Frenchman's Garden or or Frenchman's Orchard, whichever title you want to call it, uh, or or. Uh, Naked Madrid, which is a very interesting film, although you almost have to be Spanish to really understand what the hell it's talking about to a degree. But there are just so many of his movies that have been wonderful discoveries. When we first sat down and finally saw El Comandante, it was like the the doors to heaven opened up in front of us and we realized just how good this guy could be in you know in making a very black comedy. Mm-hmm. Um a cruel, a vicious, a mean-spirited, and bitter black comedy, but a comedy nevertheless. And so I almost feel like because of the joys of what we've discovered through the podcast, we almost have to take the pain of going and sitting down and, you know, watching everything, even the the ones we know are going to suck. Sure. Well, it's interesting, too. And, I mean, I still love Jess Franco films. Always Oh, Oh, yeah. Always will. And, And I go back to them a lot. Um, and especially, I, I think there was a few years where it's almost exclusively what I watched uh, was just Franco films, and that was it. And so, not a wide variety of, of a diet of films, but they were all very, you know, very much of his world. And it was strange, you know, you start to say, "Well, I like this guy as a sleaze film director. I like this guy as a horror director." I like, and then you realize with some of these guys, they're not. They're just 
artists who made movies or exploitation guys, I guess, who made movies. Depends on how you look at it. Yeah. Um, I fail to see the big difference. Um, if you're making something for people to consume and you want them to consume it, uh, it's artistic and exploitation at the same time. To me, that's just sort of how I see it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really it's really rewarding to go back and even now say, oh, you know, I want to watch uh, The Manhunter. You know, I want to watch Mandingo Manhunter. If I ever find a print that says Mandingo Manhunter, I'll be the happiest me like, ever. It, it's been said a billion times. I've never seen a print that says that. So it would make me happy. But, but for sure, the more you can, the more you dig into anybody, you know who's great for that is Lucio Fulci. You know, he's yeah. one of those guys yeah. Yeah. because he made some masterpieces. Everybody knows. Yeah. You know, and I would argue that the reason he made those masterpieces to me, the movies he's known for the most, is because he had an astonishing team. Mm-hmm. And really mm-hmm. those big ones are just in like a short space. Yeah. And he had mostly the same people who were collaborating on them. But as an artist and a director on his own, he did a ton of amazing films in all kinds of genres. Oh yeah, his, yeah. his work, and, and, his work and, and, from the late '60s all the way through the all the way through the late '70s. There's just a, a, an excellent film after excellent film after excellent film. Yeah, and it, it's amazing. And, and you may not notice it, I guess, if you become hyper focused on. Well, I love horror movies. Yeah. Or you know, I, I just like this kind. I like this genre, and you never step out. And I think that folks like yourself, who do a Nashi cast for eight years, or myself knowing how I can be with you know a topic, any topic really, once you start to go down the rabbit hole, it becomes extremely rewarding and really interesting to see just the total overall view of someone's abilities. And Nashi's one of those guys. You know, It's pretty easy to pigeonhole him in as the guy who put on the werewolf makeup and did that like distinct leap. You know the 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 the, yeah. the, 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 the lycanthrope lunge. I <laughs> you know, it's like you know, right. it's always sort of the same. You yeah. know, and it's interesting. Yeah. So when we did, um, and oh, I guess we didn't mention this, but I did another werewolf Templar story um, called Heart of the Howling Beast. And if nope. that doesn't conjure Nash, no. I don't know. Oh yeah, does. absolutely. Yeah, and and so so I sat down and I said, okay, well, you know, what are the things I love that I want to get across that I didn't do in Ascension of the Black Death? Now, as opposed to, you know, what I could do, and I wanted to do straight up Daninsky, but I didn't want to so much step on it that I was going to offend, you know, his family or anybody like that. Though I would very much like to send it to them. I think they'd get a kick out of it. Um, and, and I sat down. And I said, "Well, what do I like the most?" So I'm working with a guy named Tim Tyler, uh, who's an amazing artist. I think, you know, if there's there's a few artists I, I have followed for many many years, Tim's one of them. He used to ink a book called Faust, uh, which if you've ever seen that, uh, he was the inker. And you can tell when he inked it because the characters look like his as much as Tim Vigil's. Um, And he owned his own comic company, and I just really wanted this guy to do this. But one of the first notes I gave him was the, the lunge. Uh, okay, yeah. we gotta have, I like it. Got to have a panel where he just goes. <laughs> it's exactly. He nailed it exactly. It was really funny. You know, it's it just yeah. Some of those little distinct pieces that these guys create, but they're just chunks of an overall body of work that's amazing. So I'll never get bored uh, of watching movies. Now, certainly never get bored uh, watching the worst thing, quote unquote, on somebody's work that I love. You know, I'm happy to sit down with it and see what it is and enjoy it and what it is, which is the whole thing with the unliving. When we got to talking about what we could talk about, mm-hmm. unliving came right to mind for me because it, 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 it scratches that itch of getting to see, well, what would happen if? Now we know. Well, here's, here's a question. Uh, and you had to know eventually this kind of question was going to be asked. If you're sitting, if you're sitting down on the Nashi cast, I got I to gotta ask you, what, 
would be your favorite of Nashi's films? Hunchback of the Morgue, mm. for sure. Yeah, cool. the Hunchback okay. of the Morgue. Uh, yeah, that that one to me, it's not a werewolf film, um, but it's it, it, the performance is great. The, the concept of it's great. That brilliant bastard got a got yeah. a beautiful woman to kiss him as a hunchback. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, you sit and you watch that film. I could watch it all the time. Plus, it scratches the monsters. It's got that whack a mole ending. The whole thing. I just love it. I love everything about it. Probably some rats who didn't enjoy the whole film. <laughs> you know, Still they, a sore spot with the rat community. Set a blaze sequence too much, but uh, I'm willing to look over that. You know, and, and I, I do find the whole. The, yeah, that's a that's a great film. That's that's my favorite, and I'll watch any of them at any time. I've been horribly remiss. I missed Mondo Macabro's last batch of stuff. Um, I need to catch up. That's for sure. What did you What did you miss? Uh, Blood spattered bride. Uh, yep, yeah, and uh, they did El Camiente, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. They, 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 they did that under the uh, the title the the Devil Incarnate. Yeah, I just finished yes. a uh, I just finished a rather lengthy review of that disc for uh, the next issue of Scream Magazine, and oh, uh, and I got to tell you the the disc I've the, I've never seen the film look better. They they did uh, fresh subtitles for it. The movie looks great. Uh, there's a wonderful little interview. About a ten-minute interview that they label an introduction, where they talk to Nashi specifically about that film, uh, and it's done. It looks like this was shot in the late late nineties, early two thousands, and so he's you know he's looking back on it you know a you know a good twenty years in the past, and it's and it's really neat to have him kind of talking about that movie and and putting it into a certain perspective. He still feels pretty much the same way he did when he made it. I think. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and and, that, yeah. and that's good. That's good to know. But he he shows us he shows a, a certain amount of real strong pride in that movie that I think uh, he, he he's due. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, one of the things I think anybody who's listening to this should look up, and I had hoped to reprint it some years back, but we never did. And I have all the layout done for it. Is the Nashi on Nashi that was in videos? You mean the, the 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 double issue that's on? Yeah, the double issue yeah. where yeah, yeah. Nash Res- talked about all his movies. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Up until and, yeah, up until when that was published in like '93. Yeah, it's a it's a great that whole interview, the him going through every single one of his films up to that time. It's it's a it's an invaluable resource. It really is. It's funny because it's been so out of print for so long. Yeah, I would love to change that. That that really should change because that that's the kind of thing you don't get anymore. And sadly, yeah. we wouldn't even be able to get it on an audio commentary. You know. Even vaguely recently, mm-hmm. so it was especially valuable then, and it stands and is really important. I think for people to get a, take a look, it, he showed a lot of pride in those movies, even the ones that were screwed up. Uh, I think it, yeah. it always stood out to me that this is a guy who really loved it, and he got to play so many of the things he'd want to do. This is a guy who did everything that you know you would say as a movie lover. I'd like to do that. Well, he just did it, you know, and he's yeah. still you know Count Chuncula. So, <laughs> biggest Count Dracula ever. <laughs> you know, uh, that, that was that was something. So yeah, no, I, I think Hunchback. You know, I, I, sometimes I think about it when I want to go back, and if if I'm if I'm going to sit down with people and say, okay, let's watch a let's watch a Nashy movie, it, it would probably change from time to time. But that's pretty much to me the one I'd sit down and say, okay, you want to see something really good that uh, this guy was obviously really invested in. Mummy's Revenge is a blast. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, love that's, that, that's, love that's that film so much. Now I'm yeah, also, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. that. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, and and, and of course the big one, I guess, and, and it's, it's a very close second place. Horror rises from the tomb. Oh yeah, 
That's oh, yes. that's, of that's course. <laughs> that's awesome. You know? Yeah, so it's it's odd, you know. He's known for playing a werewolf, but eh, most of my favorites, you know, aren't quite that. And I'm a huge fan of Human Beasts. I think that's a great film. So mm-hmm. that's one you'd show to people that haven't seen, you know, mm-hmm. anything outside of the standard Paul Nashy. Well, so, yeah. Well, talk about another, you know, very bitter, <laughs> very bitter <laughs> yeah. film. Human yeah. Beasts is one of the most bitter films I think it is possible to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Well, now, yeah. I have a, I have a theory. How how recently have you watched or rewatched Human Beasts? You know, I haven't picked up any of the new uh, Blu-ray issues. So I, as as somebody that's watched this stuff for so long, and that's not a brag, it doesn't take much to do things to watch movies. Um, I, I'm having a hard time upgrading all my stuff. I understand. So the last time I saw Human Beast was on the DVD. So it's okay. been some years. The, the, reason, the reason I ask is that uh, one of the things that um, I brought up when we covered Human Beast on the podcast, year, well, God, now that I think about it, it was years ago, of course. But one of the things that fascinates me about that movie is that I am completely convinced that the segments of that film that involve uh, our, our dear, uh, uh, for, uh, no, Julia Sally. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm convinced that all the segments of the film involving her character were filmed after the fact and inserted into the movie because if you watch the movie carefully, you'll notice that the characters, you know, she's playing the mother who's been, you know, essentially hiding in the house. Right. For years. None of the other characters seem to know that that part of the movie even exists. It's certainly possible. I mean, it makes total sense. You know, if the movie's not doing well, I mean, you remember what they used to do. They do the slap a new title on it or edit it down. And maybe they thought something wasn't working. Certainly possible. I don't know. I haven't seen it recently enough to have noticed that. Well, if you rewatch the film anytime soon, I'd love to. I'd love to get your thoughts okay. on whether you yeah. think that my theory about that holds any water because the more I, the more I thought about that movie while we were going through, the more I thought, you know, I just don't, I think that maybe the, sh- the movie was a little short and mm-hmm. they needed a little, you know, they needed another five to 10 minutes of, of stuff. And maybe the other actors were gone. And so, <laughs> so now she was like, well, wait a minute, I've got one of the producers here and I can put her on camera because she's been on camera before. What the hell? Let's do this thing. So I, I, if you ever if you ever go back and rewatch it, I would really like to know if you uh, if you concur or if you think I've slipped off uh, if the cheese has slipped off my crackers. All right, well, well, Rod, any any excuse to watch that movie is, is a pretty good one. So I will do that. Uh, I will move that forward. Don't know if I'm going to go buy the Blu-ray, although uh, you guys probably better than anyone can tell me is that totally worth it. Well, of course we're going to say it's worth it because you get three. <laughs> yeah, well, I you know get, Count them three audio <laughs> commentaries. And yeah, I know. Well, I know no, the, the, all, all the Blu-rays look very good. But to be honest, hang on to your DVD. Uh, hang on to those DVDs because there are a few extras that are on those that aren't on the Blu-rays. They weren't able to retain everything. Yeah. So, uh, if, you know, and the subtitles are the same. Um, I do believe, although I didn't do, I didn't do a, I, I did not sit down and do a one-to-one comparison. Uh, I think the subs are the same, but I can't remember. It's 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 a little weird because I first saw it in English, right? So you know, and, it, and the DVD had no English. So as I recall, it there was no English on that DVD. You know, I can't remember. I can't right. remember if the Blu-ray managed to include the English language track. I really can't. Hmm. I would like it if it did. That would be very cool. I would have to actually go pull it off the shelf and find out. And I'm I'm not at home. <laughs> well, I have it in my house too. the joy. I mean, like like I say, we we live in wonderful times because these things are now coming out in high def. And I've, I have one other question for you. 
which is a which is a pretty straightforward one for Amado Di Osorio, which is actually your favorite of his films. Ooh, uh, that's a tough one. You know, it, it's again, it's probably not the obvious one. Lorelai's Grasp is really important to me. I really like that film. Um, it, it's a it, it, that one is more of a fairy tale than any mm-hmm. other film I can think of, from yeah. all, mm-hmm. like Euro guys. Yeah, and it, it stands apart. Now, mind you, I mean every Blind Dead film, of course, um, is important to me, uh, and I love them. I mean, obviously, uh, it's obviously stuck in my subconscious. Yeah, uh, you know, because I've used them in my own my own stuff in various versions. You know, in uh, Heart of the Howling Beast, I made sure not to refer to them as the Blind Dead um, for, and, for legal reasons. Yeah, yeah. Well, and just out of respect, you know, oh, okay. sort of thing. It's well, like, yes, I want them to be there, and I sometimes wonder how many people exactly are going to figure it out. I knew you would catch the joke about <laughs> well, yeah, uh, it being his production company that's trying to kill him. <laughs> when you say, yeah, when you when you sent me the, when you sent me that page, it was just like, yeah, I get it. And immediately shot <laughs> right. it back to you. Went, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, exactly. But now, how many people are going to get that? I mean, not not too too many. Yeah, not too so, many. But, yeah, not, not a ton, and the Blind Dead being who they are, but they're obviously jammed into my subconscious, you know, and I think they're the coolest monsters that I can think of. I know for some people they have Creature from the Black Lagoon or whatever, anything. Yeah. The Templars from the, the Tombs of the Blind Dead, I remember seeing it at a pretty young age, and then it was out on that big box VHS, and that opening sequence is just so good. And then when they reappear, you have the music, and it's just perfect. Uh, but Lorelei's Grasp just means a lot to me. I really enjoy it. I just I, I find it a really interesting movie, one I could go back to over and over. Yeah, I just love all the way you pulled those elements together to make that story. You know, things from Wagner and things from you know German folklore, and and uh, well, exactly. and using that actual location of the Lorelei's Rock there. You know that he used you know by the Rhine there, and just all the things he did to cobble that together to create this this creature and this story was just fantastic. It is, yeah, it's great, and it's from an awesome period of time in in just horror films in general. I mean, nineteen seventy three is a great year. Oh yeah, I mean, and and everything looks really good. It's got a great cast, and again, now we're we're back at the the the, the girls' school and the, you know, yeah, <laughs> and everything. You know, I mean, what more really am I going to be able to ask for? The girls' school so, where they're all in their like late twenties or whatever, you know, which is which is yeah. it's great, but all beautiful, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and can you beat Tony Kendall? Oh and those man, freaking. Pants. Oh, so he's, he's got the pants where he looks like game hunting he's got Donald Trump's penis on top of his penis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like, wow. So I've, I've long wanted a pair of those pants, although no, I don't yeah. think they're going to have that effect. <laughs> but it, it's just such an interesting film. So to me, that's the one I go back to a lot. And and uh, as much as I will, uh, I guess, go back and forth with several, several of my beloved friends, Night of the Sorcerers kicks ass, too. I think that's a fun movie. So it's just one of those films I enjoy. So visually, I find it to be really, really entertaining. Yeah, that's one we haven't covered yet. I'm sure we will at some no, point. No, we haven't We've covered that one. Uh, it, it, it's one of those. It's one of those films where we have my memories of it. I haven't rewatched Night of the Sorcerers in more than ten years, and uh, one of the weird one of the weirder aspects of it is that um, that uh, the deep when the DVD came out years ago, the BCI DVD that had it on it. Um, I know that they it was a weird edit of the film. That seemed to be a kind of a trying to split the difference between the clothed and the unclothed version. Yeah, and yep. it was really it, it, fucking it's, distracting. It's, it is. Yeah, it was strange because it's the opening scene that takes a little bit of a hit. Yeah, and and that opening scene. I mean, <laughs> again, it would be like taking Tombs of the Blind Dead and censoring the opening off. I mean, that guy knew how to open a movie. Yeah, and yeah. the the opening of this. Yeah, it takes it takes a hit, and, it, and that does suck. You know, it, it's unfortunate. Uh, in today's day and age, I mean. 
Rod, you and I had Giallo in Venice land <laughs> yep. through the U.S. Postal Service, you know, <laughs> on Blu-ray, and it's sitting here, and I'm looking at it going, you know, this is one I couldn't have expected, but the instant I found out it existed, I had to have it. Me, oh, me too, it, exactly. You know, just because. And, and I would love to see this one, too, come back along, and I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Um, I know we got one Blu-ray, but apparently there's a lot of rights issues, and you know, who knows um, how that's all going to turn out. Personally, Lorelai's grasp for me, too. I always sort of wondered what was going to happen as they went along, like the, the the next. So that's why it ended up in Ascension of the Blind Dead slash Black Death. It, we, <laughs> we, we used her. I put her into a full-blown character who makes uh, our female werewolf the queen of the blind dead. So someday I've got to get back to it. I have a whole story. I, cool. I do have an idea that would be uh, very apocalyptic. So I always thought the blind dead should win out in the end. But I'm not sure how they would. They're really slow. They can't see anything. And their form of government would be really bad. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, I assume in our, in our current times, I wouldn't mind a little bit of extra from them. But, you know, it's still, it's just, uh, it's something I, I would really like to do. So hopefully we'll see that. Um, but it, 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 they, they, they stick out. They're really interesting. And Osorio was an amazing director. He really was. Yeah, I'm just trying to imagine. I've never thought. I've never thought of uh, the, uh, the the world as it would be if ruled by the blind dead. And I'm just imagining the the rather fascistic Catholic combination of things that would make our lives a living hell. And I, oh, exactly. Oh, that's that's almost exactly it. the The concept I had for it was very similar to that. It was you know they take over and well, what's left? They're going to run everything, and it's done sort of from what I wrote of it at least. And I did write a bunch of it. It was going to be a post nuke, almost rats ish mm-hmm. kind of uh, setting. And we're going to have our last tribe of free humans attempting to uh, escape the blind dead. The only problem is you can't breathe. <laughs> so, and I was a little stuck on that point. I said, well, you know, that's going to suck. Uh, how we're going to be able to get by them and stop our hearts and all that stuff. So who knows? Uh, maybe someday. The, the, the out, since it hasn't been written, the out was they were going to have a, a post-nuke voodoo priest was going to stop all their hearts and make them zombies. Oh, so nice. Could, <laughs> so they could walk by and kill the Queen of the Blind Dead. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so somebody would have to choose to give up their life, become a zombie, yeah. and walk through. And if, if I'm really lucky and I can find the artist to do it, and I, I do know someone who would, um, I definitely want to have him look like the quote-unquote Mandingo Manhunter right out on through walk through the blind dead you know maybe 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 drop a little teabag on a few of them on the walk by (laughs) and and, and go and try and save the earth that'd be fun oh lord you're now now of course i want to talk just franco movies for a moment which is probably the wrong reaction to everything that we just continue to talk about uh the the uh of course we've We've been living for the past decade plus in a, in a, in a world in which, for some reason, uh, almost every damn Jess Franco movie seems to be slated to come out on some video format or another for no for no reason that anyone can discern other than to make me go, God damn it, another one. Um, oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm thrilled because it's it's wonderful to be able to discover mm-hmm. these things, but of course it's all it also stirs up that, that unfortunate thing within my collector's soul of realizing that there are probably four to five different versions of every one of these fucking movies. Mm-hmm. And yeah, will, pretty much. And it, dri- and, it, yeah. and, it and there is a point past which it drives me insane. Yeah. About yeah. two years about two years ago, I got, I got I sat down and started writing back and forth with Tim Lucas to make sure I was doing this properly because I knew there were two movies that were that he made uh, in the in the mid eighties, and both of them 
took place in the jungle and they were completely different movies, but there was like 60% or 65% shared footage. In other words, like more than half of both movies <laughs> were the exact yep. same footage telling a completely different story. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh-huh. it's, and I sat down and I watched and I watched both of them and it was absolutely fascinating and it pointed me in the direction of thinking just how much fun it would be to do a series of podcasts focused on that. And then I realized that that was a rabbit hole that I would probably die within. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, I, I've been there. It's interesting. Every time I move, and I just recently moved, uh, every single time I laugh because I have two 55-gallon or 55-quart, you know, the, the tubs. I have two yeah, yeah. giant plastic tubs. <laughs> Those two tubs are full of Jess Franco DVDs <laughs> and two books of oh, DVD-Rs. Yeah. I took everything I'd ever had on VHS of Franco's and transferred them all into DVD-Rs so I have them for you know just future reference. And I went so far as to burn them as images to reburn at some point and I put them on a hard drive because uh, I hate to see the idea of losing a lot of them. And I sit and I go, one day my children are going to open these. And they're going to sit there yeah. and they're going to say, did you really – really need four versions of a version among the living dead and wow that one's signed that's really awesome but other than that did you need all that you know and and, and the weird part about it is i kind of did uh, you know, I, I really did it's interesting i i find his filmography a lot of fun because he was a guy who had so much balls he would oh, yeah. rip you off to your face and he would make a movie in front of you on your sets, and then he would go sell it, <laughs> you know, yeah, while yeah. delivering you the movie that you want. But was he really paying full attention to either? Oh, doesn't matter. It's just interesting. It, it is a massive rabbit hole. Have you have you seen Jungle of Fear yet? Jungle of Fear. Which one is Jungle that? of Fear? Is the one that's only the 125 minute work print. No. So, oh, um, I did a pretty extensive blog thing on it. I'll have to look it up for you, and I'll send when you a he, copy. When did he shoot it? What period of time? Uh, that would have been in what? Oh, late eighties. Okay. Yeah, and it's got all kinds of stuff. You know, I mean, you get Van Helsing, <laughs> and it's it's nutty. Um, it, one of the funniest things. It's based on an old novel, uh, The Gold Bug, and I'm gonna yeah, the exactly Edgar Allan Poe story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's based on that, and it's just. I mean, it is completely ridiculous. It's everybody who was in sort of his movies at the time, mm-hmm. and you get uh, Charlie Chaplin Jr. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's totally bizarre. Uh, there's there's a there's a nice little piece about Michael Jackson. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, it, it's it's nuts. So it, it certainly, yeah, that's a great rabbit hole, though. That's one I would love to get lost in. Um, I mean, I've spent more time than probably most human beings lost in Lena Romay's bush. So I guess I can't. I can't well, complain if I'm going to watch a bunch of more it. movies. Um, you know that that's for sure. But uh, no, I've always enjoyed enjoyed his movies, specifically for the rabbit hole. And I, I think yeah. it speaks a lot to the type of people who would do Eight Years of Nash Cast. Or <laughs> you know, I mean, it really sure. does. It's like, sure. well, Absolutely. we're interested. It's a different kind of film thing. I talk to a lot of folks, so I, I work it. I always call it Big Chain Redacted. I'm not use, I, I'm not supposed to use it on social media, but I work for Target, and I sit at Target mm-hmm. and during my breaks, and I, and I'm surrounded by all these different kinds of people who all have all these different kinds of interests, and and I find it all fascinating. But they all have one unified thing. To me, their tastes in movies suck. And I talk to them. We try to talk movies, and I think I've. Sp- figured out where where some people go a little differently. I like them because I'm fascinated by 
sort of the big body of work. I, I'm attracted to the folks who have big bodies of work. Yeah. Franco's one of them. Nashi's one of them, you know, for sure. And the Euro guys tended to kind of be one of them. They were making a lot of movies. So it, it, it's interesting, you know. It, they never had the big budgets to make the special effects. And, and that's all well and good, you know. And I just find them more interesting for that. Franco was a guy I've long believed had one great film inside of him. And he just couldn't get it out. He made many, many movies, all of which have great properties, but it's really hard to say, well, that's his masterpiece or that's his masterpiece because anybody could debate it and say, well, yeah, but I see X in this, you know, or the demons is a great movie. Well, the demons to me is a little more standard, you know, well, Virgin of the Living Dead's great. Yeah, but what does it all mean? Mm -hmm. You know, or or just any of them. It's it's great. The thing is, though, I would argue that. Asking what it all means about Virgin Among the Living Dead is exactly oh, what you should be asking. What does well, it all sure. mean? That's the point of the film. Oh, for sure. And, and and what's great about that one is you can watch all the alternate versions and say, how do you take a vision like this and mess it all up? <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, how do you, how do you mangle it to the point where you know now I'm interested? I want to watch the mangled parts because it highlights to me the good parts. I think I just Which said sounds, on, sounds weird. I think I just said on one of our shows recently we were talking about Virgin Among the Living Dead. And I said that the first that was probably the first Franco film that I saw, and it was but it was on like the you know on TV. It was on the UHF channel. So of course, first of all, it's going to be hacked to bits. But what they did to pad out the time is you know that whole all that extra all that zombie stuff that oh was that a, one door that one door that has no hinges. Yes, that just yes. <laughs> It just, I'm obsessed by that door. <laughs> <laughs> they, There's no hinges. They kept running it over and over, you know. I yep. mean, it depend, and on TV to pad out the time even more. It just that sequence just went on and on, and then it would repeat. And I remember talk, sitting talking to my best friend on the phone. He was watching it on his TV, and I was watching my TV, and we were just like, "What is going? What is it's doing? What is it's, 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 it's doing it again. It started again, you know." So to go from that to the point where I really, really like Virgin Among the Living Dead, we covered that on one of our Beyond Nashy episodes. Uh, the you know the really nice when you see the the film the, the it's complete form, it's still very enjoyable I mean it's a very enjoyable film it has some really oh, nice hey. nice instances in it so to go from that point to this point to where uh, you know if you'd asked me at that when I first saw it uh, you know do you want to see any more of this guy's work absolutely not you know to the point now where there's certainly a handful of his films that I really do enjoy uh, and I and I like now trying to see I try I'm trying to see as much of his films as I can well I think yeah. they, David have you, you watched uh, the saddest of Notre Dame. That's a great oh, yes, one. yes, I have, absolutely. That's, I think under two or three different titles. I, too, have, I, I have the Blu-ray, and <laughs> before I had the Blu-ray, I had the uh, the other version of it, mm. the Synapse put out on DVD. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, what, there, there's another instance where you're talking about how many versions of this thing were there exactly. Mm. Oh, I have a German Blu-ray that comes with a whole bunch of alternate stuff. It's really interesting. It's a great film. It, I, that's a weird movie. I like it in both versions. It's strange. You know, like it, it, they're they're sort of distinct, and they're pretty different. Sexorcisms or exorcism is pretty different from Saddest of Notre Dame. Yeah, and, and you know, different in feel, different in resolution, and, and yet I find them both really, really interesting. Well, that's the yeah, thing. That's, I, that's, that's the, the thing I love thing. most about just Franco is that he made so many fucking movies that there comes a point where I realized I can't remember exactly. I can't pinpoint when I came. I came came to the dark side, whatever you want to when say. You came to Jesus. Yeah, yeah when I yeah when when, when, yes. I, when I recog when I recognize Jesus as my as my Lord Master, I don't mm-hmm. remember exactly what it was, but whenever whenever that happened, uh, there was a there was a wonderful joy because it always had a lot of love for a lot of the stuff he produced in the '60s. But then when I started when I started 
digging really hard into the 70s stuff and then backing up and seeing some. Okay, for instance, here's what I'm talking about is I absolutely love the fact that I can sit down and watch a Jess Franco film that looks and feels like Jack the Ripper or looks and feels like, say, The Bloody Judge, but I can also sit down and watch a film that looks and feels like Lucky the, Inscr- Lucky the Inscrutable mm-hmm. or uh, Awful Dr. Orloff or Diabolical Dr. Z or uh, Night of the Skull or uh, Mansion of the Living Dead or, you know, and I, or, or God save me, Bloody Moon. Uh, sure. you know, just... There, there's so much variety. Ninety nine women, you know. Oh, there's the perverse so, countess is a great one. That's exactly. super fun to watch. When, when you get when you get into the realization that when you say, "Oh, we're going to watch a Jess Franco film," that tells the that tells the clued in person nothing about what you're about to sit down and watch. Yeah, well, that gets back to the point I was saying earlier with horror films, and I think what happens, and I don't know, I can't speak for you guys, but I came to all this stuff through horror movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I was obsessed yeah. with horror films oh, yeah. as yeah. a kid. Yeah. And then I saw I – w- I wish I could say it was something like, you know, amazing. Like I saw Zombie in this, on the theater and it wasn't. It was Demons that did it for me. Suddenly I'm watching Demons and I'm going, well, this is dubbed. Yeah. <laughs> and and this, is, this is real different from the stuff that I've been watching. And I got kind of, you know, really interested and obsessed with the Italian horror stuff yeah. starting to really come up. But then I ran through them all. You know, I mean, nobody's seen them all, but you know what I mean. You ran through all the big ones. Right. And then yeah. you started watching all the small ones. But then I was like, well, what else has Fulci done? And that was way back when um, Chaz Ballin said, well, why don't you write something about him, kid? <laughs> or yeah. kid. I was a yeah. guy at the time. <laughs> and I said, okay, yeah, you know what? I'll do that. And uh, next thing I know, I'm watching The Devil's Honey. Which to me is uh, for me is my favorite Fulci film. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, really? Um, yeah, I love it. I, I just, I just finally, fun. finally, I just finally saw The Devil's Honey because they put it out on Blu-ray. I've got yeah. it, but I haven't watched it yet. So. Yeah. Uh, so, did you like it? Oh, I enjoyed the hell out of it, but it, it it would never be my favorite Fulci film because I just absolutely love what he produced in the '70s so much. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, understandable. And I just find it to be a really interesting film. And again, maybe it goes back to what I was saying with the Unliving. I like the softcore stuff. I find that interesting. Yeah. And how do you how do you blend and balance it? And the Euro guys, they had a whole different, you know, they had a whole different cocktail shaker when it came to doing <laughs> softcore. You know, they were they were making well, some pretty interesting things. And that is the, the Devil's Honey is far more fucked up <laughs> than than anything mm-hmm. you will find in the big Fulci films. That's for sure. That whole movie is. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to watching uh, it. It's oh, it's a great, great film. Really, really fun. You yeah, know, there, there, really there's different. at least there's at least two scenes in The Devil's Honey that I guarantee you, you've not seen somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can think of a few of those. And Fulci showing up too to sell them the little uh, bracelet. I think it was. Yeah. So he shows up in one of his cameos, and that's really great. That always makes me feel good. But yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a it's a fascinating rabbit hole. I would love to see you guys do Franco. I'll happily jump in occasionally. So sure. I find a lot a lot is worth. Um, kind of reviewing and this is another thing I've found now that I'm getting to be, you know, older. Uh, I hate to think of it and I'm in my second, you know, half of a century now, starting this year. Join and, join, yeah, and, join a club. Yeah. Yeah, right? You know, you sit there and you say, Well, you know, I'm looking back at these things and I start to see them in a very different light. You know, I go and I say, Okay, well now I'm older and there's things I probably hadn't experienced um, in my own life, even that informed the work of somebody like Fulci. You know, yeah. Fulci had a pretty screwed up life i mean really there's in some of the scenes i'm sure in those movies reflect that i know for a fact some of them do and some of the reflections are pretty disturbing and and franco as well you know i'm sure i I sometimes think on it and say well what was just franco 
really like as a guy. And you say, well, you know, you could say he's a great movie maker, sure. But what was he like? He's probably very nice and and a cool guy. But boy, he did an awful lot. I wish I had done like even half of what he'd done. Can you imagine? I keep trying to think to myself, I, I would love to eat half the restaurants that guy. Uh, I'd love to eat that, <laughs> you know, or yeah. I, I would certainly like to see half of the women nude in person. That yeah. seen. So, you know, and the, the times he's lived through and I, I start to see these guys in these movies a little bit differently. You know? And they also give me a great sense of, you know, I'm not a huge nostalgia fan, but some of them really do. And, and the, the, the enthusiasm never wears off. So if you sit down and say, okay, David, what are you going to watch? And you're going to say, do you want to watch Tombs of the Blind Dead? Well, yeah. Hell yeah, I want to watch it. I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. And please don't talk to me because <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of absorbed right now. And, and, and it takes me right into the, into the world again and still finding new stuff. You know, with this age where we're in, you know, guys like Mondo Macabro, Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. You know, Vinegar Syndrome pulling on all these just weird freaking movies yeah. I never would have seen. So it, it's, it's an amazing time. We really are. We're really lucky. Well, the thing about the Jess Franco films, we've covered we've covered a few of them as part of Beyond Nashy, and I'll say that we, you know, the the problem I have right now is I want to do uh, I want to include another uh, Jess Franco film in uh, in the podcast here sometime soon, but the problem I run into is fuck which one? And it, it, <laughs> yeah. yeah, where do you go? Well, yeah. well, right, and you can always say to somebody, well, what's the best movie to introduce somebody to Jess Franco? Ooh, that's a tough and the the argument's pretty uh, easy. None. Yeah. Because, they, yes. you know, yeah. because you, you can't tell them because you're inevitably, if you say, well, let's watch one of those really great 60s films, you know, well, what are you going to sit him down with? The, the, you, you take those and you say, okay, we can use one of those. But he also made, you know, Manhunter. <laughs> so let's watch that. And that's going to disappoint them, you know, yeah. or they may like the other stuff, and this would be a disappointment. It, it, he's a really hard guy to nail down. Um, I think it requires. That and you know, I guess this rips Tim Lucas's you know whole theory, and he's absolutely correct. He's one of those immersion guys. You either go in yeah, yeah, or you just yeah. don't. Yeah. So you know, trying to say, well, how do you immerse yourself best? What's the most efficient way to do it? You know, it, you'd have to go uh, ten films, probably you know, at least ten. at least ten films. Yeah, ten. You know, but if you sat down and say, well, people like the number ten. Not really sure why, but they do. You know, top <laughs> ten. All right, well, and, and, and I would be very distinct in saying I'm never going to say anything's a top 10 Franco film. I'm going to say these are my favorites. Favorites, you yeah. why. All, favorites you know, are all, really the only way to go, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, it's really, really tough. And you can say that, you know, certainly the argument can be made that there's some quality over quantity, you know, in some of them. But I'd still, my, my entire premise for him is he had, he had great vision for what he was doing. And then eventually he got to a point in the 70s where he made, he had one unifying vision and he just was finding all these different ways to try to get at it and when i watch the films in that i say that's that piece oh yeah he wants that he finds comedy really funny and he does comedy pretty well i like that one you know but not everybody likes it you know i mean i enjoy gosh the candy costume movies crack me up and the thing is <laughs> that kills me is i'll never understand them completely <laughs> so well, because they're, they're, they're shot just, yeah you know you'll just never get the comedy it was interesting so here's this is a funny old um, blog story. So I had a friend or have a friend and, you know, her mom actually helped me out. It's all on my blog. Her mom helped me out. The Franco films that with the Candy Costner, uh, Candy Costner movies, they all have these very specific titles. Well, they're all jokes that are in their native tongue, so to speak. And we just wouldn't get them. They don't translate right. Yeah. So she sent them along to her mom and her mom cracks up and she's like, that means for all the girls, my hot cum. <laughs> <laughs> and her mom is telling us this. 
And I'm sitting going, I can't stop laughing because all I can think of is, yeah, you know what? I might not have got that. I might have thought it said hot milk, which is what it says. And I could make the the assumption that that's what they're talking about. But she just read it and immediately laughed. It was a joke. It's a joke you and I probably just can't get. So yeah. we're, we're sort of stuck with that too is that, you know, he's a guy who he made specific kinds of movies for the – and a lot of them have cultural references. I would never – I'm not one of those people that's going to tell you. I know everything. I really don't. I don't think – I can fully appreciate some of the stuff Franco was talking about because I don't know his references. His point of reference is different than mine. When he becomes my point of reference, what he did for me was open up my eyes to say, well, I want to see what he's talking about or what he's referencing. So it expanded my education just in general. Um, and I don't know how many people can say, Jess Franco expanded my education. But he did. You know, <laughs> well, as far and, as and, film and is concerned, the, the more time you spend with Jess Franco films, I think he does educate you because yep. the, if you if you immerse yourself, if you dive in, you really do learn something about visual storytelling and about how an, how a moment or an image or an idea can be stretched and pulled until your perception of it begins to change in a way that you would never have thought otherwise before that time was taken to bend and stretch your vision of it. And it, it, to be honest, with Franco, it goes back to something I've always said. The my, my intro to Franco, where I finally became a real, actual fan of his stuff, the, 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 the kind of, I guess, gateway drug, was is that just Franco and I shared a lot of interests. He's a big fan of pulp fiction from, you know, from the 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s. So am I. Uh he's a big fan of certain types of storytelling. So am I. He's a big fan of universal horror films. So am I. So when he started playing around with things that he and I both love and enjoy and I can see those influences and I can see him taking his own tack and trying to put a spin on things that is that is specific to his way of looking at these particular things that both of us love, that's when I found my way into his world and kind of into his mindset that allowed me to enjoy more and more of his stuff. And it allowed me to be patient with some of the things that I would have had absolutely no time for in years before, simply because I finally clicked to the fact that he and I are more alike than I would have assumed. Hmm. Well, that's a really good way to meet an artist, for sure. You know, to be able to see your own stuff re-perspectived, <laughs> you know, yeah. through somebody else. And it's interesting. One of the things that I did with him and the thing that made me a huge fan is probably a very odd one, um, was when he sort of resurfaced doing all the video films. Uh-huh. Uh, I was sort of taken aback. Um, I remember I ordered Tender Flesh um, out of the back of one of the magazines. Yeah. Um, and it was like, oh, he's back. And it was – that's such a strange film. I mean it was financed by like Draculina magazine practically. Mm -hmm. And Craig mm -hmm. Ledbetter has a credit on it. Yeah. And, you know, Franco had been sort of, you know, <laughs> just gone. You know, I mean he tried yeah. a few things. I have a poster for Downtown Heat framed, you know, one of his late 90s ones or mid-90s ones. Mid -90s, and, I yeah. really, and I really liked it and all that. But, you know, Esmeralda Bay and those movies, you know, they, they just, <laughs> nobody was watching them. Um, after Faceless. And then he made this little string of these video films, and I just found so much interest in them. Dr. Wong's Virtual Hell <laughs> is a really funny pulp fiction movie. It's, it's what it is. He's making it with almost nothing. Plus, Jess Franco plays Dr. Wong. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know, what more could you ask? Red Silk brings back the red lips from yeah. his previous films. 
you know, and and, and Lustra Frankenstein has Michelle Bauer, mm-hmm. of course. <laughs> Who else? You know, and and I found those so fascinating. I said, well, wait a minute, I must have, I must have really missed something here, you know. And I went back and I started watching them with a lot more intensity, and I just found so many interesting pieces and so many chunks. The one thing I will have even if I don't watch them nearly as much as I used to, so many images from those films are stuck so deeply in my subconscious. Now I've tried to take a lot more care for myself to create things. And I sometimes have to laugh when I say, Oh my gosh, I know exactly what I'm thinking here. And it's just Branko. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I tried in a a comic book script. So, you know, we're doing another comic. We're doing a comic called bolt action, which is going to be a tribute to grindhouse films. I use quotes because I have this whole long spiel about the grindhouse. You know, to me, I hate the term, you know, to me, it's that evolving thing. The grindhouse was the video store. The grindhouse is the streaming service. The grindhouse is whatever the hell you have to sit in front of. Yeah, but yeah. you know, as I'm sitting down and I'm working on him, I'm doing a thing that's basically Lena Romay is in it, and she's teaming up with Pam Greer, and the two of them. I didn't even realize until I'm about five or six pages in. First, I tried to write in in instructions for the artist crash zoom onto black, mm-hmm. which you know what that is, of mm-hmm. course. That's yeah. the, the the my God, let's get lost in this pussy bush, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I'll to go in, so I'm trying to do it, and I'm like in comics, I don't know if this is necessarily going to yeah. translate that much but i had to laugh and then i realized what i was doing was i was making my own red lips mm. i mean I, you know i was that's what yeah. i was doing it was it was wow. first and foremost in my head i was like you know that's what you're trying to do here so i had to take it back a little bit and stretch it out into some other stuff um but it, but it was interesting you know it, it's kind of fun to see how welded in a lot of these guys become when you get really immersed in their work I honestly I can't wait to see that. Having yeah, seen uh, yeah. having seen uh, one page of it, <laughs> <laughs> it looks great. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be something. So it and I think you'll appreciate this. So I'm trying this. I've worked in comics and I've been really lucky to work with some great people. Um, Neil even contacted me to write something that involves Dracula. So I'm writing dialogue for Dracula. Cool. Really, um, Neil Neil Oaks. Yes. Neil, Neil <laughs> so that's that's pretty exciting. That's awesome. Yeah, I, that, that's, that's amazing. That's Very cool. Yeah, and I've always wanted to work with Neil, so mm-hmm. we've sort of gone back and forth over the years. So for me, it's really exciting to do that. And, and but as, as we're sitting there, so Bolt was the book though that I've, it's the kind of comic I always wanted to read. But it, I want to find the audience like well us, mm-hmm. the people who you know may not go to a comic book to look for these things. So I'm recording these like 30 second radio spots for the Satanic Escape, and we're gonna have trailers for movies that haven't existed. And we've got a, <laughs> uh, we've got a uh, yeah, the Satanic Escape is there. I wrote a thing uh, called High School Honey Trap, uh, which anybody who loved lived the 70s and loved the 70s, <laughs> you're gonna remember what the High School Honey Trap was about. And uh, it's, it's got that, and we're we're doing the Hong Kong Hell Camp women too. So I had done a previous one, but it never just worked out, and so I decided just to make a sequel. The original doesn't exist, and <laughs> Tim's got muscle car movies, you know, that he's doing, and we're doing all this crazy stuff. I'm sort of hoping to find the audience of people that you know like these things and are going to get some of the immersed jokes, but don't necessarily need them all. You know, it will be really interesting to see. But I think it's going to be good. You know, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting project. Well, that sounds fantastic, man. When when uh, when you get that off the ground, please let us know. I'd love to. I'd love to let people know through the show. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, we'll be kickstarting it. Cool. <laughs> so that's, cool. We need to. In today's day and age, unfortunately, it's pretty difficult to find distribution. You know, for if you're going to do a one shot comic. Yeah. And this is and what I want to do. Is I miss um, comics like Faust. I, I miss mm-hmm. seeing comics that were pushing the limits, but you know, still in kind of the genres I was interested in. 
Um, and, and we want to do that. So I think it's time to just say, okay, let's find our audience and hopefully our audience will be supportive and we'll keep on cranking stuff out for them that they're going to dig, you know, and really enjoy. Wow. We've gone far afield in this conversation. We have. So let me put it to you this way. You guys are wrong about the unliving. It's awesome. Uh, there's beautiful women. It has Beverly Lynn's tussled blonde hair, which drives Roger distraction. Uh, yes, it does. It's got Michelle Bauer doing her best, and, and her best is amazing. And one of the things I like about that movie, especially for her, she's a little older, and she did express a little bit of, oh, you think people want to see this? Yeah, we do. You know, <laughs> yes, yeah, we kind of do. And it's got, you know, of the final Daninsky performance from Paul Nashi, and while he is surrounded by a whole bunch of other elements, he pulls off what I think is a pretty pretty solid tribute to his own stuff. And you can see, even for the moments when the werewolf makeup wasn't itching him to death or anything, that he was there. He still got the great eyes. He still used yeah. how, he still had to know yeah. use how to use his eyes under makeup there. You know, yep. he knows yep. and, yeah. uh, and the thing about mm-hmm. Michelle Bauer, Bauer, too, is I, I, I think she had fun with this role. Um, I... You know, that's one of the things that I did enjoy about the film, or at least appreciate, is the fact that, you know, she's got some 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 really bad dialogue to work with there. You know, and so it's like uh, some of the, I, I, yeah. some of the dialogue like is needs to yeah. have a rock thrown tied around it and thrown in the lake. You know, it's, it, it sinks like a, it sinks like a stone. Some of that dialogue, and so she had and she gets the lion's share of the worst of it, and but she's able to deliver it with a gleam in her eye. You know, I think she's. Yeah. Again, enjoying uh, the stuff and her the best moment dialogue wise or the best acting moment in the whole film, I think, is that actually does make me laugh is the is that part where where she's talking about how, how having to cook and sew for you know and all that and clean and yep. cook for that family you know she's like I'm highly motivated you know so that actually is a funny line and she delivers it very well. Yeah, um, she's great. So she's I do appreciate great. that. Yeah, her the work she does in this, and I did appreciate the fact that. That Olin Ray did, like we talked about earlier, uh, he's obviously watched these films and and took these elements that Nashie would appreciate and yeah. worked them in the story. I even love the fact you mentioned Evan Stone earlier. I love the fact that when the werewolves on the prowl, he kills gypsies one moment and then kills a modern girl standing next to her automobile. Her, her you know, it's just yeah. like a Nash, It's just like a Daninsky mm-hmm. film because that's exactly yeah. what happens. So that shows you that Fred Olin Ray, you know, saw this stuff and. And 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 he was familiar with these films, and he did pay attention to what's going on. Um, I, two things that I like what he does in the film is the whole thing about Daninsky basically selling his soul to save his wife, and then ends up killing her as a werewolf. That's not something that Nashi ever did. But I, when I saw that, I thought that is pure Nashi. Nashi would appreciate the tragedy of that. That's yes. the kind of thing that fits perfectly in a Valdemar Daninsky story. And I also, um, you know, I don't know if we want to how deep we want to go in this just because of anybody that hasn't seen the film. But I will say what he does at the very end, the last, the, what Fred Olin Ray does at the end of the film, the very last freeze frame, you know, the very mm-hmm. last thing that happens is something that never actually happened at the end of any of the Valdemar Daninsky films. But I always thought that it was going to, at some point, it was something that I think he teased a few times, you know, and, and, and the thing about yeah. the Daninsky films is we've talked about before is, People, if they see one every now and then, they start getting in their heads that these films all told the same story and ended the same way. And, of course, as we saw, they really actually, he did very different things with the endings to these stories, to these films. But what Tomb of the Werewolf does is not something that he ever did, which I thought was kind of neat because it was something I always thought was, there were several of Nash's films that I thought that was going to happen, that it was going to end that way, and it didn't. Oh yeah, like Night, yeah. Night of the Werewolf. I, I honestly would have sworn would have sworn that the ending that this movie has mm-hmm. Is the way that film was that going that to turn film out. was going yeah. to end? Yeah. 
so so okay, I've told you the stuff I like about it. So <laughs> now, <laughs> see, so my work is done. So so the Nashi cast has come around. So, did you so, notice I didn't say that I like the film? <laughs> no, you don't have to. It's interesting, and you 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 hit it on the head. It's got a lot of neat things, and I think it's isolated to the parts that it's. Uh, it's in. Mm-hmm. But anybody who's a big Nashi fan would be doing themselves a disservice. And it's also real interesting. Get that DVD. The, the documentary is awesome. Mm-hmm. And nobody does commentaries, to my mind. Sorry, all you commentary makers. <laughs> um, nobody does commentaries as well as Fred Olin Ray and Dave Dakota sitting yeah. together. Yeah, it is a terrific audio commentary. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Although... I have to take issue with a couple of things Fred Olin Ray said. One of the things, actually, he says, I think he makes a good, an interesting point. I don't agree with him, but I see where he's going with it, where he says that the, he talks about how the European films, the horror movies, like Nashi films, he said that, you know, they essentially worked in the same way as the softcore, is that you had these periodic breaks for, you know, you had these sex scenes dropped in. He's talking about how his film is basically just taking that and expanding on it. Um, I see where he's going that. I disagree because, to me, the problem with the softcore films and the reason I'm not really a softcore film fan, although, you know, yeah, the women in this film are beautiful, and I certainly, you're not going to get tired of seeing them naked, of course, but watching this, trying to watch this in terms of watching it as a film, as a story, the, the softcore parts to me always just grind everything to a halt. <laughs> no pun intended. Mm. Uh, but it's, that. you know, it's, that for it's, a lot of people. And it, it, it's in, in a way that I don't think the sex scenes really do in most of the Euro horror films. Uh, they're brief enough and they work enough within the story that, yeah, you know why they're there. They're there for exploitation. They're but, there they're, but they're also part of the story, supposedly. Yeah, whereas, whereas in, in, in films like this, to me, it's just kind of like, okay, yeah, I can, you know, I can enjoy watching the female flesh on view. But at the same time, they all just have that same rhythm, that same soundtrack. And it's just kind of like... Okay, this is our intermission from the from the film, folks, and we're gonna pick it back up here in five minutes. And so, so like I said, I see what he's trying to say. I don't totally agree with it. The other thing that I really, really disagree with him on is he says at one point in the commentary that he thinks that that's the best werewolf makeup that Nashi ever had, and I was like, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Now the face isn't too bad, but my god, that hair is awful. I mean, it's like. <laughs> It's like I call it. I call it the Care Bear uh, Daninsky. Uh, the Care Daninsky is like I, I. I just so yeah. Sorry, Fred, but that that makeup should have been better. I'm, I think it was real disappointing in that. But um, you know, but but I think that what you know when Ron and I did this film, we had to. We of course had to present it as and look at it as a Nashy film, not as a you know not, you know not, not a as soft, a Fred and film. not as a soft core right. film. You know, we had to look at it as and and. I think that the uh, I have problems with the I have real problems with the the story in general, and, and I think that that's one of the, another one of the problems with all the sex the softcore. You know, you you put that in. Well, of course, the film's already ninety five minutes. You know, with all the softcore sex in there, so there's only so much story he can expound on. But I really thought well, that's that just it, went, it. That's just it. If you, it, I, I I started doing a quick check as I was going through the film this time, and honestly, if you wanted to just cut this down to just the movie. Mm-hmm. You're you're at about an hour, mm-hmm. maybe a little more, and in other words, if you yeah. just took out yeah, all yeah, the softcore right, right. sex scenes, mm-hmm. the the amount of story is barely feature length. Yeah, and I, and I think what's missing from this as that's that we get from the other most other Daninsky films, especially the best ones, are even though Fred Olin Ray did put, throw a lot of elements in there that we recognize, there's not quite there's not quite that feeling of of those those little ingredients, those extra layers that Nashi brought to the stories, you know, they'd always mix in those things from his own knowledge, his own reading, yeah. his own weird bits of mythology, weird characters, 
weird extra subplots that sometimes worked, sometimes didn't, depending on how you looked at it. But it always just kind of gave it that much more of a, the Nashy stew, we call it, to work with there, you know. Yeah. And that's that's missing from this film. And what's also missing, I think, not even anything to do with Nashy, it's just bad storytelling to me, is that your main characters in the film never, never, nothing ever really happens that involves them directly, you know, which is basically your, your girl that's the, you've got what's really kind of your main two protagonists, which, I mean, is you've got the girl reporter and it's her, like her boyfriend. Right. You know, and nothing, they never are aware. I mean, obviously the very last frame of the film, you know, when something actually yeah. happens. Otherwise, nothing ever happens to them that they're ever aware of anything else that's going on in the film. Nothing ties back to them. As but, far as, but, but Troy, they, they fuck. Yes, well, I yeah, do realize that, and I know yeah. that, and I, that's you know, yes, I know that everybody's sitting there thinking like Troy, it's it's a you know, it's it's a softcore film, you know, for me, but it's it's just to me, it's just sloppy storytelling. But I also think like <laughs> because it's like you know, yeah, again, it's like you you know, that nothing nothing connects, you know, it's 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 just a, a, a they just sort of wander around aimlessly and pointlessly, and nothing ever really ties back to them, even though you set them up that they're going to be your welcome, Troy. Welcome, yes, to I know it is the Fred Yolen Ray yeah. universe. Well, and, then, yes. what, no, no, just yeah. welcome oh, to Sidecore Porn. Have, have you watched a yeah. Jim Wynorski film recently? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. So it's it's one of those things I know. It's it's one of those things that I I, I realize that you know that I'm 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 expecting something that isn't likely to be there to begin with, but. Uh, but this is just my point about the fact that we had to view this in terms of, of a Daninsky film as opposed to a softcore film. And I will admit, I will say, hey, yes, the, the women in the film are quite attractive. I, I, I had no objection to, to seeing <laughs> yeah. them go through their emotions there, you know. Was, uh, mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, again, it really comes down to the basics of what are we watching? You know, it, mm-hmm. it, the, sure. the market, I mean, didn't make any money. So the market, yeah. though, was Showtime needed a certain amount. Skinamax needs a certain amount, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, or you're just not going to sell it. They're not, nobody, and, and maybe even at the time, as harsh as it probably sounds, nobody was buying a Paul Nashy movie. Though. Oh yeah. Oh no, of course so, not. You know, yeah. That that wasn't a sales pitch. So in order to do it, it was actually to me, it was okay. How do I make what's going to sell? Yeah. And get in, you know, someone that was obviously important to him. You know, it's like, hey, you want to make a movie with this guy? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and if you go through the rest of uh, his filmography at the time, he was doing the Nicholas Medina period. Mm-hmm. Um, as I like to call it. it, was what yeah, it was. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but there's some, it's weird because there's like some really interesting movies in there. And then he did a whole ton. The Ghost in a Teeny Bikini. Oh, yeah, all the Bikini yeah, Bikini movies. Roundup. Yeah. Bikini Chain yeah. Gang. <laughs> uh, bikini Airways, I think, was first. <laughs> so, yeah, Bikini Airways in there. You know, I mean, it was those were made for a certain market. And I think fortune just smiled upon him and said, make an ashy movie. Yeah. Okay. Well, so yeah. he did. And it came out as it did. Um, but it's just one of those films. I don't think you can ever really say, well, you know, it's Nash's greatest work. No. Uh, is it a Paul Nashy movie? Yes. You know, is it a Fred Olin Ray movie? Absolutely. And, and yeah, I tend to look at it more through that lens, I guess. So I have a hard time going through the story mm-hmm. on movies like those because mm-hmm. in the end, I know why mm-hmm. they're there for the sales pitch. And the sales pitch didn't involve a long go-through of the mythology yeah. of Waldemar Daninsky. Oh, well, no, I, compl- I completely agree with you. But here's here's one of the things, and I've, I've been working on this without telling Troy about it for a while, which is I have this – this theory that as I've gone back through a lot of the classic Paul Nashi films, one of the things that I think seems to be true for me as a viewer of those movies is that even the even when they're not working 
smoothly on the script level, when they're not really telling the story as smoothly or as smartly as you would wish or hope that they would, they're almost always working effectively on an emotional level. In other words, even if you were to try to break down the plot and you'd realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, some, some, element, doesn't some element doesn't exist, some element doesn't fit, something along those lines. One thing that Nashi was very good at doing was evoking emotion. One of the things that he was very good at was making the audience sympathetic to, if not just the, you know, the, the, the cursed you know, werewolf character, to a lot of characters within his stories. Whether it made sense or not is almost secondary because if you can get somebody on board emotionally, a lot of that stuff kind of falls to the side and you don't even notice it. And wouldn't uh, the unliving's use of his wife and the tragedy there count? Oh no, no, that's just it. You can see, uh, uh, you can see once again, Fred Olin Ray has has either absorbed, you know, has absorbed uh, enough elements of what Nashy would have built into one of his own stories to to copy it to a certain degree. It's just that uh, one of the one of the things that you know, if you're going to have a softcore porn film where you eventually, you know, where you're where you're inserting all these sex all these sex scenes. And these sex scenes aren't about advancing the emotional content of the story. It's just working against it. Hmm. And I, and, I can and, see that. And, that, and, that becomes a fundamental issue with the softcore genre, I guess, yeah, yeah. at that point. Because you know, it, it's sort of like with Nashi, let's say you take your Nashi stew and you say, I have all these elements and I mm -hmm. want to add this disparate bit. And I like this part. When you're making a softcore movie, you're saying, Is, are they going to show up? Are we mm -hmm. going to have a location? Yeah. <laughs> Is everyone going to get naked? And Are there any lines of girls? How long can we do this? Yeah. Can they remember the dialogue enough? And that's one thing about Fred Olin Ray's softcore movies I actually really, really appreciate. Um, and maybe because you're looking at the unliving through the, you know, the lens of the Paul Nashy stuff. He managed to get a group for a while there that could actually get across the stuff. And I've watched a lot of Jim Wynorski stuff around the same period, and I hate to pit the two of them kind of against each other because they really aren't. Um, but, you know, if you put the two together, Fred Olin Ray to me always seemed to have a better handle on the idea of you're watching a movie still. Now, it may have, you know, half an hour of humping stuck in the <laughs> but you're watching, you're watching the movie. You know, and and every so often he'll have something that'll pop in that's either really funny or or just amusing, or he knows what he's making, and he and he goes and does it. And I think the Nashy one, The Unliving, probably stands as one of his oddest films, and I bet he'd be one of the first people to say it. Yeah, oh yeah, you so. know, it was it was almost diametrically opposed to sort of what he was doing at the time, actually, and, and it just it was an opportunity that needed to be taken. He had Nashy for three days, right? Yeah, so oh yeah. Really, what was he going to do? He had Nashy for three days. Paul Nash, he doesn't speak English. Mm -hmm. He's making another movie for Don Glute. And, by the way, he, he's having a hard time walking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're just going to have to make the movie the best <laughs> we can, stick in what we got. Now, mind you, Fred probably would have enjoyed having the means and the ability to sell a movie where he could have done a whole bunch of other stuff. But I just don't think he did at the time. And we get what we get. And I'll enjoy the parts that are Nashy, and I'll enjoy the other parts, too. Uh, every time Beverly Lynn pops on the screen, I'm just happy. Yeah, well, she's, she's, she's pretty she is, amazing. She crap. is gorgeous. She is, but <laughs> and of course, you know, you know, what can we say about the digital explosions? You know, just uh, that, just uh, the <laughs> yeah. Know. Those were those yeah. were those were also, I think, not the best choices. Was you know, let's let's explode our our dead at the end of the film. You know, is like maybe at that time with that technology might not have been the best way to go, but. <laughs> but <laughs> 
I don't think they had the money for the practical effects. So we would all love that. And and Fred did say in the commentary yeah. that, that he he was learning how to do that oh, stuff yeah. by himself. Absolutely. So there's a lot to be said for it. It was like, well, what are you going to do? Well, some of the stuff some of the stuff he does is kind of impressive with some of the when stuff he points out that he did with with that early early form of CGI that he did. Uh, some of the walls, just some of the rooms and backgrounds that he points out that that's oh yeah that's CGI is like okay that's yeah. pretty good work there Fred yeah, you know so pretty good. Uh, no, I tell you. But if you I, want to see yeah. it, you know what's interesting? So I would love to get you guys on a podcast that I would do uh -oh. to see uh -oh. what you would think of a movie like Bikini Frankenstein. Yeah, I'm willing to watch it. So well, hey, well, see, yeah. what's cool about this, David, is is that you are the first softcore uh, connoisseur that I think I've ever met. <laughs> is because I know I've, I know a few hardcore porn uh you know fanatics and connoisseurs but i don't think i've met a uh, softcore uh, uh porn, well uh, I, I, I don't get me wrong i love both but i uh, think they're both very different yeah you oh, know? They are. oh yeah i mean let's be to be you know to put the fine point on it most guys mm -hmm. uh and women you know i mean i've met a lot of women mm -hmm. actually some of the people i know who enjoy mm -hmm. porn the most are women mm -hmm. is we sort of grew up in that softcore era yeah i mean yeah. i know i did you know, where it was, you went to a movie that was a comedy, but really you were there to see the boobs. Yeah. You know, and, and so for me, it always sort of became that sort of the role of the film. You know, and like a movie like Bikini Frankenstein, I just thought was hilarious. Um, and it, it, it's really, really interesting and it's very much, you know, a play on it, but it's fun and mm. goofy and it's a softcore film. So you might be able to look at that and say, okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take this for what it is. Yeah. It's still a horror pastiche, um, but he was much clearer of what he was making. It doesn't bring along the baggage yeah. of having something else. I think that would be kind of interesting. That would be, so you may hate it. No, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. We may have to may have to try that out at some point. And, yeah. and, and also, uh, i got to tell you, I, I, this will make you glad, I think, that at least I was trying to work with you on this, is I was able to figure <laughs> out, I was able to find four Nashi films that I could say are worse than, than the unliving, Ooh, uh, yeah. and that's keeping in mind that I've not seen Countess Dracula's Orgy of Blood, so okay. that would probably be on the list too. Um, one is a uh, Mucha Sangre. Yeah, Mucha, Mucha Sangre is pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, Impusa, which was the the Impusa. last, which was Nash's actually last film that he made and directed and wrote. I would say that that is actually worse. I think. Yeah, than, it, it, than, it got put together after he passed away. It's pretty miserable. Yeah, yeah Werewolf in the Amazon, I think, is worse Ooh. than it's, this. Yeah, I know we on that one. It's awful. And then one that. Rod is. I've not yet has not had the misfortune to see uh, one that I did watch. You got Shadows of Blood, uh, which was. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I've seen that one. Yeah, oh. that was pretty awful. Oh, and and the thing is, there's the only reason it would be a temptation to do in the show is because Nashi does actually have a pretty big part in the film, but he never speaks because he can speak English and it's filmed in English. But he has a big role in the film. But it's it's one of those. Filmed on video in the '80s, and this is true '80s video where you know this, and it's not even edited. Where the sound in one scene, when it just cuts to the scene, it just stops dead. The sound in one scene, just you know that kind of film. Yeah, and it's yeah, I hope you don't see a rainbow. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's excruciating. It truly is. And so I think that's another one that just when we just get absolutely like sheer desperation that we can't think of anything else to do an episode on, maybe I'll make watch Rod watch it. But it's uh, it's bad. So there you well, go. Let, those those are well, all worse than The Unliving. So here's yeah. a question for you. How many Nashy films have you done two podcasts on? Uh, this will be the first. Well, and okay, we that, did do a revisit. Not, we did do a revisit. That's not true. Hold on. That's, yes. Yeah, I will say that's not true. We did a revisit on Horror Rises from the Tomb because again um, we were running out of films. We were like, well, let's just go back to the films we did in the first year and and see how kind of look at them again. Yeah, yeah. So we did Horror Rises from the Tomb, and then we did one on we did a second one on Crimson because it was the first. 
Well, we talked about Crimson. Right, because it was the first of the, the really, of this whole slew of Nashi Blu-rays was yeah. The Man with the Severed Head, a.k.a. Crimson. And so we did a, a show kind of going back to talking about the Blu-ray release of it. Yeah, so, but we didn't we didn't delve into the film again because I couldn't be I couldn't be bothered to watch the fucking thing again so. until I told until until you'll hear me on the show tell Rod about all this extra nudity that's in it, and then suddenly Rod's like oh I may have to I may have to see this again at some point yeah you're 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 impugning my character sir. <laughs> I would never I would never do that hey as someone who's had his character impugned plenty you come up <laughs> you really don't need to worry about it. Well, David, I guess we probably ought to wrap this up or we're going to be here all night. Um, sure. This has been fun, man. Thanks for joining us. For yeah, this. No, it's my job. pleasure. I, I'm honored. Believe me. It's really great. And you know, one of the things that makes me laugh, Rod, when we did the, the podcast with Elena, I'll never forget, it ran four hours. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know because you did it here at my house and I like I had to oh, see really? you. Y'all were like here skyping, you know. I was like <laughs> twiddling my thumbs. It would be nice to go to bed at some point here, but I got to wait till Rod <laughs> shuts up. So, yeah. <laughs> to me, was that we went, we have Elena, who I who I love. Uh, and yeah, she was she's great. great, and I love her site, and she cracks me up. She was the first person I wanted to send fiends to, mm. so fiend, it, her, mailing that to her taught me that mailing a magazine to Spain costs twenty six dollars. <laughs> yes, holy it's shit, insane. Yeah, twenty six bucks for one magazine is nuts. Uh, but it was funny. The thing I remember the most of that whole podcasting experience is still one of my favorites. Was that Elena's trying to talk, and suddenly we're having a conversation about wishing we had a time machine so we could go back and live in those girl schools and be the guy that shows up at the girl schools because everyone's horny, beautiful, and, and there's monsters around. <laughs> If that doesn't summarize all the films I enjoy, I don't know what does. Yeah, but see, my luck in that is I would end up looking like Victor Israel, though. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, even Goto got a little bit. So, That's right. Even he could score the girl. <laughs> yeah, but not Victor Israel. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, 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 that's true. Still Nashy underneath it all. And he was making the damn movie, so it's up to him. Yeah. Hey, when you write the script, you get the pussy. That's right. Yeah, I, I've always believed that. It's why I write comics, and all I get is comic book pussy. It kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a whole lot. My, my Hong Kong Hellcat women aren't going to be over later. <laughs> <laughs> David, we cannot thank you enough for being here, man. Is it is it possible we could get you to come back sometime in the future? I would absolutely love to. Cool. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for being here. All the best, guys. Bye. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, uh, necrophilia. Ah, uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this? No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am in the most sincerest of senses disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. Unimaginable. At 12 years old you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13 you should not be. 14 you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17 year olds should be watching this just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's 
because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hello, Christopher. What insanity are you up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia. I'm downloading some movies. What? <laughs> People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh-uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island. Well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available. Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there was a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time. Um, Christopher, there is. We do one. <laughs> oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something and review and discuss it. <laughs> that sure is nice of us. <laughs> sure. Why don't you click over to Orphan Entertainment and remind yourself a little more about the show. Oh, will do. Let's see, that's at orphanentertainment.com. And yeah, it looks like we're available on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Oh, hey, can we review the Gilligan's Island movie someday? Mm-hmm. We'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Once again, thanks to David for coming on and being a guest on the Nashy Cast. Um, I think I'm really enjoying these shows where we have a third party come on to discuss na- to discuss the Nashy films that we all uh, love. Yeah. Okay. Me too. Wait. No. We, we were just discussing a film that you and I don't <laughs> well, really love. <laughs> but people love to hear us talk about the films we don't love. So the love, the love is yeah. still in the room. So yeah. <laughs> the the, lo- the Nashy love is still there. Yeah. Even yeah. when the film may not measure up yeah. to what we wish it we would We loved be. him so much, we wish he had not had to have done that film. <laughs> <laughs> but once again, we want to thank David for coming and being a part of the show. And uh, that's something that I hope that we get to continue doing in the future. We'd like to remind everybody that if you want to get a hold of us, there is the uh, NashiCast Facebook page, always. And there is also the email address for the show, which is NashiCast at gmail.com. Write us with any comments, suggestions, insults, praise, um, I don't know, uh, recipes, anything at all. I'm not, I'm not really picky about it. Go ahead and write to us if you feel the need. And I will be glad to hear from you. Uh, we do have one thing we want to chime in with here, which is a letter we got from our man in the field. Yes, Dan. Dan. He uh, sent us a letter uh, uh, making a specific point and, uh, about um, Ghost Galleon, the mm-hmm. uh, third Amado de Osorio blind dead film. And this is, uh, he had some information about something that we wondered about when we watched the film. He says, uh, hey guys, finally caught the cast on Ghost Galleon. I think our friends of the Daninsky Wolf Pack, Power Wolf, that's uh, the band Power Wolf, uh, might have an answer to the cross burning and why the Templars acted the way they did. It has to do with the Fourth Crusade. He says, I'll let singer uh, Attila Dorn explain. The main theme on Preachers of the Night is the Crusades. We are not religious fanatics. We are describing these historical dimensions and want to give the people who listen an insight to some historical aspects of religion. For example, our first song in German is entitled Kreuzführer. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> uh, it's a German it's a German word and, you know, 
Cruzfuhrer. Okay, he says, the meaning is a burning cross. It was in the 12th century uh, when Pope Innocence proclaimed the Fourth Crusade. Uh, the people who were promised salvation in heaven screamed for it uh, and thought of it as the will of God because, of course, the Pope proclaimed it. Uh, this war brought a lot of disaster upon many, many people and very often with burning crosses. The lyrics for Cruz Fuhrer are about the, the cruelties and the religious mania by the church. Um, now, it's interesting. He says that the chapel where they recorded the choir stuff for this song was built uh, in the 12th century as well. So that adds a little interesting thing mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and then he sent along a YouTube link, which I will include in the show notes, for the song, the Powerwolf song, Cruise Führer. And it just, it, it sounds scary every time I say <laughs> German does, words. It really, it really does. does. <laughs> but uh, I want to thank Dan for uh, the heads up on the burning cross thing. Um, yes, Dan, appreciate it. Dan always... It turns out the knowledge like he turns out guitar riffs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's always, uh, well, being fans of Nashi and Nashi being such a, a stickler for historical detail and mm. doing as much research as he could when he was writing his, uh, his films or uh, his, his fiction, however you want to put it. Mm. I always love the fact uh, when I can learn something. I love it when I can learn something from any, of, any, uh, any horror film because then mm. it's like I'm getting a horror movie and I'm getting a wee bit of education. Well, I think that uh, Diosorio was sort of of that same bent too. You know, we've seen yeah. that with this and also the Lorelai's grasp of the the way he uh, obviously has a deep knowledge in uh, mythology and legends and that sort of thing and and historical fact. So, and I would just like to point out that uh, uh, in case you were unaware, we did do a commentary track for the Screen Factory release of. The Lorelei's Grasp, um, still out there and available. People go That's out and right. buy that Blu-ray. Right. And I would like to say that I think that we, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the the commentary track that we did, and and it was fun to really dig deeply into the uh, mm -hmm. mythology, the German uh, myths and stories that are very much a part of the story in that film. And um, mm -hmm. I just want to say that in in that uh, in that particular commentary track, I'm I'm going to have to bow down before. My uh, po my co podcaster here, uh, Troy, and just say that he really brought the knowledge on that one. He really dug deep uh, and really brought it hard on that one. And I was really proud of I was really proud of your well, uh, contribution you. to that one. I man. appreciate that. Appreciate you saying that. I like to I wanted to get mm. that out there publicly and just let you know that mm. uh, I really think you did an excellent job on that one. Not uh, that you've done a shitty job <laughs> on any others, but uh, oh, man, but. Well. Um, I think there were fewer times you had to yell at me to, to not say not 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 be scene specific, not not point directly oh, well. to the to not point directly to the screen. <laughs> Don't specifically reference it so I can play around with this in the edit. Yes, I'm just trying to make your edit job interesting. That's all. Awesome. <laughs> oh, it was interesting as hell. <laughs> no, thank you, thank you for your kind words. I appreciate that. Oh well, at any rate, and thank you, Dan, for yes. Once again, thank you, Dan. But now that the mutual admiration society mm. is over, remember <laughs> you can reach us on the Facebook page or at uh, nashicast at gmail .com. We'd be glad to hear from you, and uh, keep your ears peeled because we will have an episode coming out in October as well, mm -hmm. focused on. Uh, well, it's a it's a beyond Nashi episode. Several decades beyond Nashi. <laughs> <laughs> several dec yes. Several decades beyond Nashi, but it involves werewolves. Yes. And if you listen to our episode with Court recently, you might have a, a sense of what that might be. So, once again, thank everybody for listening. Thank you for downloading, listening to the show, for paying attention to us, and hopefully enjoying us. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we'll talk to you again soon. I saw her standing on the corner. A yellow ribbon in her hand. I couldn't keep my
there. No, look at there. Look at there. Well, 